Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree and a guy who knows how to work a DVD player talk to you about movies. This week, Nick and I only went to the theaters once to catch the last film of the X-Men franchise, Dark Phoenix. And then we're going to hop in the time machine to 2009. We're going to blow you away with our review of a Seth Rogen uh, cult classic, Observe and Report. All of that on this week's episode of Brownie Points. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. And as always, Nick and I don't just jump right into the movies. We like to start off the episodes with a little editorial segment. Sometimes we'll do trailer talks. Sometimes we'll talk about something that happened in the news. Or sometimes we'll talk about a broader topic. This week we're going to talk about a kind of broad topic. Art versus the artist. What I mean by that is... How can you look at a piece of art if you can when you know that the artist behind it is of questionable character? Uh, Ergo Mel Gibson or Roman Polanski or Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, um, it's for, for me... I like to think that I can still enjoy art. Um, like for me, it's it's one of those things where like I I feel like that I can still watch something even though I know that that person is not uh, a great guy. Like knowing what I know now about Brian Singer, like. That doesn't mean I don't want to watch X-Men anymore. Like, I I still would be glad to watch X2 again, or X-Men, or Days of Future Past. While at the same time, I, I would like to watch it in a way that doesn't get him any residual money, like a DVD. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, question, it's questionable to want to look forward to anything that they make again without proper punishment. Like if they don't have justice served to them first, um, if they're even allowed to make something again, like, but it's, I don't know. It's always, it's really weird. I've, I've had to look at it at a case by case basis really, because like, um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I love the ghostwriter still, uh, the Roman Polanski film with Ewan McGregor from 2008. I've watched that movie multiple times and uh, he drugged and had uh, unwanted statutory rape with, uh, well, I was redundant. Um, uh, he, he drugged and statutory raped somebody, and he never got punished for it because he fled the country. But I still love Ghostwriter, which is, like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a weird thing that, like, um, and I, I hope I'm not speaking to flippantly about it to somebody like it's i don't know what do you think what do you what, how do you separate the art from the artist um so i'm someone that doesn't watch the news um i one thing i have a problem with with the news is uh 
the only good things you ever hear are puff pieces and everything you hear is this is terrible and be scared of this. Um, so I stay out of that a lot. Um, I put my kind of energy, I would give that into like sports and watching movies. Um, and just like working on my car and stuff like that. So I don't like, if I seem really uninformed, that's cause I am. <laughs> uh, well, it's not so, well, no, I don't mean in the way of just like, are you but, aware, are you aware that Harvey Weinstein did this? But like, but, but what, but what I'm working up to is, you know, I'm aware of what these people did, but if I want to watch a movie, I'm going to watch a movie. So like, to me, to me, I find it kind of, I don't know how to word it. I find it kind of, this kind of weird, because it really should have started back, the pop, the pop cultural time where it mattered, or the, the time in pop culture where this something similar to this first came up that I think should have, it should have been made a bigger deal than it was, was Mel Gibson's blatant racism. And, uh, and sexism and, uh, abusive remarks and clearly abusive behavior. And people just kind of blackballed him for a couple of years and then moved on. Um, we're in a time now where the social and political landscape has greatly shifted. Um, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. Um, I kind of leave all that judgment and legality stuff up to those people. Um, so your question of how do you separate the artist from the artist is pretty easy. How do you separate that? The answer is pretty easy. And just, I really don't pay attention to that stuff. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer to it, but, you know, it's it's one of those things where... You know, there there needs to there needs to be a shift, and there's groups working towards that. But it's one of those things where you know, for me, I'm like, look, dude, I just want to go see a movie, or I want to watch a TV show, or back in to take it back to sports, back in the Michael Vick days of the NFL, where people, you know, I get that there's people that can't separate what he did to dogs away from what he does in sports. I'm not gonna yell at you for that. I'm not going to say, oh, you're you're simple-minded because, you know, in terms of what his career was, you should just be measuring what he did on the football field. That's very narrow-minded. But, you know, at the same time, if I see someone that's willing to forgive him and say, hey, he paid his debt to society, he's shown, he's shown remorse, and he's shown an effort to improve who he is, improve his community, and make amends for what he did, can he truly ever make up for him? I don't know, but he's at least putting the effort in to try and do it, you know. If someone said said that to me and said, you know, I like Michael Vick, I support him, I want him to do well, like when he had his resurgence with the Eagles, uh, the year that the Packers uh, knocked the Eagles out of the playoffs to win the Super Bowl, you know, more power to him. It's one of those. It, it's one of those things where, you know, because of the internet, largely because of uh, a large reason, I don't watch ESPN anymore. Uh, because it's not a highlight channel. It's just, hey, let's have debates. No, dude, show me. Literally, Sports Center is a debate show now. Um, 
it's just what our whole landscape is. Everyone wants to debate everything. And I, I don't want, I am not an argumentative person. I don't want to debate. Uh, well, certain things I don't want to debate. Uh, clearly this podcast wouldn't exist if I didn't want to debate certain things, but, um, <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I have other things in my life I want to concern myself with. Um, I want to work on helping my society rather than vilify other people in that society. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's really a personal preference of what people want to focus on. I personally, if I want to watch a movie, I'm going to watch a movie. If I want to watch a TV show, I'm going to watch a TV show. Um, there's, uh, there's no right and there's no wrong. It's, this is a gray area. Um, separating the artist from the art, uh, you know, if you're like me and you don't really know the background of a lot of things, it's kind of easy because you're just like going into a movie. Well, it doesn't, um, does it bother you though when you find out some news like to a point where you would necessarily consider not, uh, partaking in watching something like has that, has that happened to you? Like where you take it, where you have to, where you're taking it back and you just kind of take a moment to just kind of rethink no like yeah like like i said i'm one of those i'm one of those guys where i don't really look into the news of things a lot so i don't know like i'll find out i'll hear about the allegations of stuff if it makes if it makes if it's big enough to make headline like headlines of it but i never really know all too much of who's in a movie yeah like you have to tell me constantly what an actor's name is, what an actress's name is, what the director's name was, who was in this. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I, I know my answers are kind of, people are going to say it's a cop out, but that's just kind of what I do. I don't pay attention. I try to not pay attention to the news all that much because all of it's so negative. Like it's just fear mongering. And it's something that I just, I'd rather do something else. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it's like, do I want to sit inside and be scared for an hour? Or do I want to go play guitar or watch my team play a sporting event? Or, or and, go... and, and not be angry about somebody that you've never met before. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. I've never met these people. I'm a big, I'm a big, the closest it will ever get, honestly, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a huge memorabilia collector. The closest it will ever get is if a uh, if a um, sports star has something like that happen, then it, then it can change. But other than that, like right now, right now. So um, well, so in terms of sports, though, well, like uh, I've I'm not... I've got I I've got one right now. Yeah. The Blues are the Blues are playing the Boston St. Louis Blues are playing the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup. My favorite St. Louis Blue of all time is David Backus. He was our captain for five years, played in St. Louis for 10, left to play for the Bruins two years ago. Uh, the Blues are playing a very physical style of hockey, very similar to how Boston's playing. Not only, not only similar, but Boston is complaining largely about the Blues, quote-unquote, playing dirty, which I don't think they're playing dirty. I think they're playing hard, but it's ironic to hear because the Bruins have a player, Brad Marchand, or Marchand, however you pronounce that guy's name, I don't care, because he's the rat. Uh, he's it just, it's based off his physical appearance, but also he's one of the dirtiest players I've ever seen. Um, but 
they've played that style of hockey for a long time. They've been known as an overly overly physical team. People have claimed they're dirty. Whatever. We're not getting into if it's dirty or not. But uh, David Backus in this series has gone to the media and complained about stuff the Blues are doing and their criticism of the officials. That's my favorite blue of all time. I personally have not worn my David Backus sweater this entire series or a hat that I have that has his autograph stitched into it. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, our current captain, um, is very good friends with David Backus and said before the series, they texted and said, hey, I can't remember who texted who, but the message was, hey, I love you, you know, great friends. They, they stayed in contact because Petrangelo asked him what he needed to do to be a good captain. And he, you know, before the series, they had a text conversation of, hey, I love you. You're my brother. Congratulations. But for the next three weeks, you're, we're enemies. We'll talk in three weeks. We can be friends in three weeks, but for now we're not. And then the other one never texted the other person back. So I think the person was like, I guess it's game on for that. I don't know. But, you know, that's one thing that I'm facing right now is, you know, my favorite, my favorite blue of all time is criticizing stuff with the team. Um, do I hate them for it? I really just wish he'd shut up. Um, I don't, I'm not going to hate him. I know I'm still going to love him as one of my favorite Blues after this series unless he does something that ends a guy's career in the next two games. Well, if the Blues win tomorrow, it's only one game. But um, Greg Jennings is another one. Um, left Green Bay will not stop running his mouth about Aaron Rodgers. Right. I, really liked, yeah. I really liked Greg Jennings when he was in Green Bay. I don't hate him. I honestly, every once in a while, try and see if I can find a Greg Jennings jersey on eBay to buy to wear yeah um i i just wish he'd shut up yeah uh, kabir gabaja be amelia kind of the same deal with the packers just shut up man you played eight games with aaron Rodgers. just shut up i don't care what your opinion is on a guy if you played eight games with him and it was really early in his career and you're making judgment calls of what he is as a person now yeah it's been a decade man like that those are the comparisons i can think of just because like I really just, like, just stop talking. Like, that's the only thing I can say. Like, when it comes to, you know, if the artist does something terrible. Like, Louis C.K. is one of my favorite stand-up comedians of all time. He says some of the funniest jokes. Now some of the jokes have uh, are hard to listen to. But it doesn't mean I'm going to stop listening to his comedy. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to take a page out of um, your book and just kind of, like... Not, I don't want to take my finger off the pulse of it. I don't want to not know what's happening per se, but I don't want. I I need to be better at not getting caught up in the sensationalizing of it. Like yeah. last year when Roseanne, um, <laughs> reading that whole saga about Roseanne, like oh my god, that and that, then she's like, I was I took too many Xanax or something. Like no yeah. racism. I liked Xanax's tweet back to her though, like. Racism is not a side effect of our drug. Yeah, but, yeah, and, like, what she did was so st- stupid and wrongheaded, and, um, but at the same time, like, I, I was part of that swarm of people that watched the show, and not anymore, because I just kept forgetting it was on, but, uh, the Connors, like, yeah. uh, getting, getting so caught up into it, and, like, if Roseanne wasn't fired, maybe I'd still would watch the show. Like, if I'm just being honest with myself, just, like, it's... Uh, same with Charlie Sheen in uh, 2011. Like, I, I still watched uh, 
two and a half men. If I had cable here and I was not doing anything and FX was running a rerun of it, I'd probably watch it just because I, <laughs> yeah, he's a sociopath, but I still, that's my guilty pleasure, people, is uh, well, <laughs> I loved I loved two and a half men until Charlie got fired. Not because Charlie was fired. I mean, the quality of show was what changed, not the fact that. I stopped watching out of solidarity with Charlie. Like, no, the show yeah, just got his started. replacement just wasn't as good. Actually, like, yeah. Putting that's, that's one one thing I want to say, you know, and I, I think it's a point that you're getting to too. It's not that I don't care. Like when I hear these allegations, it truly is terrible. And, you know, let's, let's work to fix it so that these things don't happen again. But I'm a guy in the Midwest working, working a, just a stand, like working a job. I like movies. I go to watch them. What? It's it's part of the reason I don't get into politics. Like watching the news, just it just people get so worked up about what's in the news. What like what impact am I gonna have if on foreign policy? Like, dude, I I I'm not gonna get worked up over something I don't have control over. I'm one of the best things I was ever taught. I've learned it. Uh, I've learned it from my parents. I've learned it from uh, mentors in my job, in my life, everywhere. Is the things you need to worry about are the things you can control. If you do that, you're gonna you're gonna be more not only more successful, but you're gonna be happier in life. I'm not gonna freak out about things that I have no not only no impact over, no control. Like what is me freaking out about this stuff gonna do? Yeah, there. The best that I can say is just more it's kind of along those lines too just like uh just just pray the perpetrator finds uh a way to redemption peacefully pays whatever he has to pay metaphorically for the crime that he did or yeah. the the social implication or his fall free fall from social status like um and just hopefully like just gets their life together but we can. I. It's. It's hard for me to say that I. I've. I. I can't say that I haven't just excised something from me just because somebody did something terrible. Like, uh, tying it into Louis. I would probably still like Louis if Louis wasn't pulled from everywhere and I could rewatch it again. Um, yeah. I, I haven't. I haven't listened to his stand up since then, but that's because I've been listening to uh, a lot of other comedians. But I, I'm not gonna sit back there and go. His jokes aren't funny now. Like. Certain ones of them now, you just kind of sit there like, ooh, that one doesn't age well. But yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna vilify him. Yeah, no, like I would. Like gladly... I, I heard recently, he was out there doing more stand-up shows. I want him to do more stand-up shows. Yeah, he's out here. He's out here. Well, he was trying to out here in New York until that one set got leaked. But um, but yeah, he's trying to. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna speak on behalf of if he did or didn't fulfill his punishment but um it's but no it's yeah i i separate the art i like to think that i separate the art from the artist well i don't know if that's the right way to phrase it but like i feel like it's possible to still be able to look at a piece of art and be able to talk about it and think about it and uh be able to just look at the piece of art as a piece of art and then look at the artist as you would in any other person. Like, that's just a title. The person's like, an artist. One, that's one just the thing, one of the things that's, that's just an like occupation. The rumors, the rumors of Walt Disney, if you go back, of how 
uh, prejudiced, biased, and racist he was based on the rumors and things I've heard. I've oh, not yeah. researched it to confirm it. But what I'm saying is that's one of the biggest companies in the world right now. If people wanted to claim that they were doing everything they could, they would they would uh, protest that company not doing anything with them. There are people that do that, but I'm just saying it's one of those ones where, like, guys, it's just, like, freaking out about things that you don't have control over just leads to where everyone hates each other, and it's it's a toxic environment to be where we are. And because of social media giving everyone a voice, and ironically what we do, a podcast, where you can just basically publicize yourself, it just makes it divisive. It's just, if you want to help the world heal, find a way to unify. Like, yeah, don't. That do, is one of the most hippie things I've ever said in my life. But yeah, don't like, do something that would get you on the news like that. Like, don't be a, don't be a predator. Don't be a jerk. Don't. What's like what's a healthier? What's a healthier way to fix something? Ostracize someone and cause division in the world, or see what someone did, get make sure that they get their punishment for it, but then work on adapting and changing everything. That's what needs to truly happen. And people are just like, no, we just want someone to blame and hate. Cool. That's lazy. Yeah. In the in the community, it starts in a community and then grows outward. Like in yeah. in the macro sense, I mean, that's the only way to fix problems like that. Like just make sure you're some you you set yourself up somewhere where you're, it's a nice place to live, nice people. But like uh, in this specific isolated incidents, from what I'm just getting at, in um, yeah, it's out. I mean, it's out of our control they'll get punished or they won't. Harvey Weinstein's not going to jail. He just settled with $44 million. Yeah. But I, uh, we may or not be watching a movie that he helped produce next week. So obviously <laughs> I'd, I'd be a hypocrite for saying that I'm not watching any more of his stuff. That would wipe out literally Quentin Tarantino's entire library, except for, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, if we boycotted yeah. the Weinsteins, um, but well, the other thing too, when you think about it, these people that own production companies, yes, you're punishing, you're punishing the owner. They're millionaires. They'll figure out how to get money and live fine. But if you do that, you're also taking away the jobs and careers of several hardworking people. Yeah, that's you're taking away. You're taking away the boom mic operator guy that is working to get his kid into college and not pay millions of dollars for them to get there. Like, yeah, that's why I was so happy that House of like, Cards. The, that, the other thing, Lori Laughlin's involvement in that fiasco with the colleges. People are like, oh, that makes that makes Full House unwatchable. I'm like, that makes Full House unwatchable? No. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, look, I like Full House growing up. I watch it every once in a while, but it's not this Archangel show. It's heavily flawed and weird. It's a, it's a sitcom. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a yeah. sitcom. Um, and it's a cookie cutter. It's it's the sit it's a sitcom that like wrote the formula for a lot of other sitcoms. Well, that's what well that sitcom renaissance of like the late eighties, early nineties. Um, yeah. Yeah, but um, that's kind of getting away from topic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of I mean honestly though that's kind of all. Um, we gotta stop having downer like opening talking point things. Well, having talks like this, I think, is healthy. I think it's yeah. healthy for people to talk about things like this, talk about opposing viewpoints on things. Um, not that we were really opposed on anything. Obviously, if you did the crime, you gotta pay the fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, back to the thesis of this all. Yeah, I can still watch stuff. I mean, of course, there's always that little bug in the back of your mind when you're watching it. But I mean. Like you said, I've never stopped, and I probably won't. Yeah. 
I'd, I'd be lying to myself if I said I would actually, like, the person would have to have personally done something for to me, really, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, outside of, like, uh, outside of, like, Owen Wilson, like, doing something to one of my cats, or... <laughs> <laughs> Owen Wilson breaks in your house and headbutts Beth, and you're like... I hate Owen Wilson now. <laughs> yeah, it would have to be something like that for me to stop, honestly. Um, or at least, like, I haven't found something yet that was a line, really, for me yet. But, um, but yeah, no, that's, I think this was a cool, I think it was a good conversation. And yeah. uh, sorry if you all thought this was a kind of a downer. I, I hope it wasn't. But, uh, but yeah, we're going to take a brief break, and we're going to talk about the first film that we saw this week. X-Men Dark Phoenix. Be right back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. The only film that Nick and I went to the theater to see this weekend was X-Men Dark Phoenix, the final film of this current incarnation of the X-Men franchise uh, featuring the cast of First Class from back in 2011. Uh, this is also the final film that Fox solely had control over before they got bought by Disney. Uh, it's the directorial debut of Simon Kinberg, uh, who also wrote the screenplay. He's been a long-staying uh, producer and or writer on, excuse me, virtually every film of the X-Men franchise since 2000, all the way back with the first film with uh, Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman, that, that whole cast. And... This was not was not good. This was pretty terrible. Um, Nick, I'm gonna open the floor to you uh, for thoughts first because uh, I got the feeling that you have a little bit more of a passionate response than I did to this. <laughs> my, uh, I think my uh, text to you when uh, when it was over, uh, I think it was utter and complete effing garbage. <laughs> I think I, that um, sounds about right. Yeah. So this movie was a little different uh, than what normally goes on. Usually one of us sees one of the movies on Thursday. It's usually me because I'm trying to schedule movies around uh, playoff hockey. Uh, but this week, I, uh, this week the Blues game was on Thursday, so I went on Friday instead. So me and you went to the movie within an hour of each other. Yeah, I think, um, I think I, what was it? My showing was like at 6 and then yours was 7, something like that. Yeah, mine was like 7, 7.15 at night. Yours was like 6 or something. Yeah. And you got out, and I don't even really remember what you said, but I was like, "Dude, this was terrible." Um, I think that's I, so like, yeah. I think that's what I just texted you was just, "Dude, this was awful." <laughs> like we said last week, I've not watched any of the other X Men movies other than t like the tiniest snippets of others, and if you consider the Deadpool movies X Men movies, I've seen those, but they really have nothing to do with an X-Men storyline from what I can see in those movies. So I don't consider them X-Men movies. They technically but... are, but yes, you're right. They only, they, they don't draw from any of the other films narratively. Like they just, Deadpool just points out the fact that like the X-Men exist more or less. Yeah. That's, that's really what I kind of gathered from it was, it was just like, Hey, the X-Men exist and they have these adventures. Anyway, here's Deadpool. Like, but this was, um, this was interesting to sit through because when the theater I went to, there were clearly X-Men fans in there. And if this is the cap and the end to the, you know, the storyline they loved, 
and everything. I'm not speaking to the other movies. I'm not going to criticize it for other things involving the other movies, although based on what I saw on screen, there was a really loose connection to the other movies. Um, if, if this is the ending to their beloved storyline, I'm sorry such a horrible movie was made. Um, I was very bored through a lot of it. Um, we were joking last night because we usually don't review movies right like the night we see them. And I told you, I was like, I kind of want to review it tonight. And you're like, no, we'll just review it tomorrow like normal. I'm, uh, and you were joking. You're like, I'm glad you remember movies and give better and give better recaps because you're like, I usually, uh, he's like, you're like, I can't remember much of it. And I just got out of it. That was what you said. You're like, I got out of the movie 15 minutes ago and I don't remember any of it. Oh, right, right, right. I'm having a hard yeah. time re- remembering it too. This movie sucked. Like, uh, yeah. Yes, this did. A lot. <laughs> this was... I'm just gonna say it now. This is a single... This is a cookie. Uh, the, like... Here's the thing. I will give the other movie... Whenever I get the chance to... I will give the other movies a chance. I really do want to watch the other movies in this franchise. So I'm not gonna let this spoil the franchise for me and be like, if this is what they're all like... Like, I... Watching it, I watched... When I was watching it, I was like, I feel like this is probably the worst one. If it's not the worst one, wow. Um, <laughs> but, man, this sucked. This was horrible. This was so boring. Really bad CGI. Um, every, it, dude, it was one of the most going through the motions movies I've ever seen. It was like, it, it just the acting just seemed like they went with the test take for everything. Like, Okay, you know, when it, you know, I don't know much about go- making movies, but I know they kind of do like a practice run of like, hey, kind of like a general run through of lines, kind of test out your like where you want to give like emotional impact, inflection in your lines and stuff like that. Yeah, re- rehearsals and blocking and yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a kind of like a run th- like honestly like a walk through of a football game. You're not going to go at 100%, but go through it, kind of go through the motion, stuff like that. It felt like they just went with that as the takes. Um, CGI was really bad. The story, and we'll get into it in spoilers, man, this made me think of so... I stopped counting how many movies I thought it was referencing or ripping off. Um, The chemistry with the characters... um, Emma Stone, I don't, Raven is her character, is that, was that her name? Raven, the blue lady? Uh, yeah, Raven slash Mystique, and that's Jennifer Lawrence, not Emma Stone. Alright, whatever. <laughs> uh, again, I don't really want to give much energy to this movie, so I'm not going to know the cast. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, um, her character, and what's the, what's the actress that plays Dark Phoenix? Jean Grey, what's that's, what uh, Sophie? She? That's Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones. Okay, so Jennifer, it was really weird. Jennifer Lawrence, I bought that there's a scene where she's talking with Sophie. I bought Jennifer as someone who's looking at not just a friend, a family member, a comrade. You know, I've been to war, I've been to battle with you. I've been to war with you and I love you and I cherish you and I, I just want to help you. I'm not trying to sell you on any on any type of thing. I just want to make sure you're okay and I want to help you. I genuinely bought that from Jennifer Lawrence. Sophie looked like she was talking to a piece of paper. 
Yeah, I was I was like, I was talking to one of my friends, um, and I will stand by this statement even more now that we've seen this film. She has the emotional range of an electric vehicle. She right. she she has nothing other than looking stoic. She has nothing. I mean, she's kind of pretty, and she can pull off stoic a little bit, but that's not good acting. Looking pretty you is could, not you acting. Could, you could. <laughs> You could nail a still photo, like being a model or something, but she has, like, at least in this movie, because it's the only thing I can think of seeing her in, she has no acting ability, except for she can, she can pull stuff off with her face, and I think that might be what's getting her through an acting career. She can pull stuff off with her facial expression, which is weird, because normally people can't pull off acting with their face, but they can pull it off with their voice. She's the exact opposite, where she can't pull anything off with her voice, but I buy it with her facial expressions. She, uh, I, that's the thing, though. I don't see anything, like, in her face. I wasn't buying any part of her performance. Like, um, I guess to give my little summation of the film. Um, yeah, can you please do that? We gotta go into spoilers so we can just rip, have, like, free reign to destroy this movie. Yeah, no, my, my summation of the film, uh, I have seen all the X-Men films up to this point, including the Deadpool films. Uh, if I have to rank this, um, it's not the worst out of all of them, because there oh are... Oh my a... god. One more time, sorry. Oh my god. No. Really? Yeah, it no, there is Dude. there are two films I'm sorry that are worse then. Movies. I'm sorry that you've had a wor- you've had worse movies. There's <laughs> this franchise. There are two worse films than this. Um, two? Yeah, no, Apocalypse is worse and X-Men Origins Wolverine is the worst still. Oh my god. I have I have a couple very small uh compliments I can give this film and that's why it's not worse than Apocalypse and Origins. Um and we'll talk about we'll talk about Origins, dude. Origins is going to be a time machine film if it goes back streaming now, <laughs> just so you can see how truly awful it was. Um, and then uh, it's not uh, the first crack at Dark Phoenix is still better than this film, uh, The Last Stand, because The Last Stand was coincidentally trying to do this story also. So this isn't even yeah, the first time they. That was one of the things, too, is watching that. I was like, I've not seen any of these movies, and I know the X-Men movies have done multiple of these to death, multiple things of these to death already. Well, the, and I've the, not even seen the movies. The animated series did it best, um, as far as I could tell. I haven't seen it personally, but uh, yeah, this is the second time they did tried this story after Last Stand. Uh, but it was kind of like a shared B story in Last Stand. It wasn't like the story of Last Stand. Because uh, there was a whole war between humans and mutants going on, led by Magneto as well. But uh, anyway, back to this film. Uh, it's not the worst, but it's still pretty dang bad. <laughs> um, I'm also going to give this a cookie, like, taking the night to think about it. Um, like you said, there wasn't much to think about because I more or less forgot the movie when it was done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this all, this gets a, a cookie from me as well. Uh, our scale... Uh, a pretty much masterpiece is a full Bernie pan of sprinkles. A pretty good movie is a full pan. A 50-50, kind of bad, uh, but also kind of good. Uh, that's a half pan. A single brownie is a pretty terrible film. And then an outright disaster, like this film was, is um, <laughs> is a raisin is a this... raisin cookie. Um, so, uh, like I was saying, I everybody just gave up acting wise. It didn't seem like anybody wanted to be here. 
um, everybody was just so phoned in, and like, I will give Nick Holt some credit, the guy that played Beast, it seemed like he was trying to. Yeah, um, he, was, he was honestly the only person I was like, you know what, throughout the whole thing, you were good. Yeah, he was trying to, um, and McAvoy is not a bad actor, but I didn't think that they wrote him anything that was worthwhile. Like, I could see what they were trying to do with Xavier just kind of getting up his own butt with the fame and not realizing that he was actually hurting uh, Gene and uh, not actually caring about the X-Men the way he needed to or promised he would. But his dialogue was terrible and he just wasn't directed well. Uh, Michael Fassbender um, and... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence and basically everybody that had been in this uh, that were a part of first class back in 2011 so much has happened to them in their lives outside of the this franchise uh Oscar nominations critical praise uh so much better material to work with to help them grow as actors it, it's so obvious they don't want to be can, here Michael Fassbender can I, can especially I, can I can I say something what? real quick yeah I I don't think this is a spoiler if it is sorry but I don't consider it a sport. There's a scene where Jennifer Lawrence and the Beast Beast guy are talking in a room by themselves, and they're like, we're the last of the first class. Maybe it's time we move on. And I was just sitting there, and I was like, are they talking about the movie or, <laughs> like, for the movie? Or did someone just record them talking? I got some, <laughs> I got some tri- I was like, I don't think they want to be here and I think this is just them talking. I don't think this is them acting. I got trivia about that, actually, when we get into spoiler territory, about her specifically. Um, but no, like, it's so clear that they don't want to be here. And uh, they're phoning it in, like I was saying. Um, Jessica Chastain, I told you off mic, and I'll say it here. I'm convinced they just drove a dump truck full of money to her house and said, we're going to write your character to be an emotionless stoic alien that it'll look like you're acting because that's what the alien is like uh she had no she, she did like dude she didn't even have enjoyment for what she was doing like it, it, even robotic characters or at least my plan is coming together she was just like yay they oh my god the aliens are so adding aliens into the story is a big issue for one thing but to not even, like, to develop them in a way that, like, made them menacing or matter or give you something to, like, feel that they were a real threat. Like, they were so tacked. They were just real. Yeah, they were so tacked on. The CG on was so bad. I was like, that's not there. They just felt so tacked on to, like, try to add an extra level of danger into this. When really, they might as well have just been written out and just made this, like, a civil war where everybody was against Gene. Like, yeah. um, and also the, the fact that I'm convinced that they were supposed to be the scrolls from Captain Marvel, but they couldn't use those words, so they just gave them a different name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, the, to, to wrap it up, the, uh, I agree with you, the CG is terrible, but the CG's kind of not been great in these films in general. Um, you'll see if you ever see First Class or Apocalypse or Days of Future Past. The CG has never been uh, that great for any of the First Class saga. Um, the action is so uncreative and so poorly shot. Um, it's just utterly boring, completely forgettable. 
it's definitely one of the worst films that we've seen this year, and it's definitely yeah. in the bottom of the barrel for the X Men franchise. I just I, it's it's such a disappointment because of how long this franchise has been going on for eighteen years, and to have it just come to a crashing halt like this, like yeah, I admire that they wanted to tell a more personal story. And I, re- I remember Simon said on the record that the emotion and uh, character arcs were forgotten in Apocalypse. So our next project, we want to focus back in on the characters and uh, put some real emotional stakes into it since we forgot about that in Apocalypse. So just because you tried to do that doesn't mean you did it well. And it shows. Yeah. And this film was just a train wreck. I got I got one more thing I want to say before we move into spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, so for my rating, again, like we said, I've not really seen any other of the other X-Men movies unless you count the Deadpool movies. But my rating, I'm sitting there and I'm not going, oh, this movie doesn't connect to the... Or I, I don't get the connections from the other movies, therefore it's a detriment to the movie. My spoiler-free review for that is... Dude, I don't. I watched this movie and I was like, I don't feel like I need to see any of the other movies to honestly know much of anything about these characters. Just this movie as a standalone movie was just so poorly made, so just walking through the motions to get there. It was horrible. It was just like there was no enjoyment in this movie. I uh, I actually almost did something I haven't done since I went and saw uh uh. Blade Runner 2049. I actually almost went out of the theater and just sat in the lobby for 10 minutes and just looked at my phone. <laughs> Dude, this was so, this was so exhausting to sit through. Yeah, I And this is and this is coming from someone who watched Hellboy and spent the entire film going, "Please slow down. Please slow down. Please slow down." At least Hellboy just, Yeah, Hellboy kept our attention. This movie like Yeah, like I kept mentally dude, checking action, out. Yeah. The the one thing I heard about it going in was the action in this is at least good. The action in this was just okay. I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't even go that far. I thought the action was pretty lousy in this. Well, okay, but okay, but it it goes from lousy to okay. Literally, I did not care about anything happening in the action scenes outside from the very first one. Yeah. Or uh, the uh, oh the the. The not Challenger Endeavor, whatever that space. Yeah, is called. the thing in space. Yeah. Other than that, I was just like, I don't, I don't care. Like they just. This yeah. movie sucked. Like this movie. So it's it's a for me it's a cookie, but. It's, it's not like, it's not like, uh, Cap the State or La Llorona. I left those movies angry, like just like, just so over those movies. This one ended, and I was just like, you know, I don't really take this movie to be an indictment on the series, but I just, I was just like, wow, this is so terribly made. This is, this just because of how bad it's made. Like, I didn't care that it was bad, really, but it was just so poorly made that I was like, this just is a cookie, but it's not like Curse... Curse of La Llorona or Captive State, where I was just like, this movie's terrible, and I just want to rip it a new one and, and just want to talk about how bad it was. This one was, I was just like, wow, this was just really bad. Like, it wasn't, it was not enjoyably bad, which, going into the movie, when we, when we bought, when I bought my ticket, 
I bought it on Fandango and it had the te- Rotten Tomatoes score above it, and it was a twenty. And I was like, "Great! I've not seen any of these other movies, and this one's supposed to be terrible. I hope it's at least entertaining." Ter- no, it's not entertainingly terrible at all. It's just terrible. Yeah, I just, I was just sad when this was over. I was just so sad that one, at least cinematically, nobody can figure out how to tell the Dark Phoenix story right, to which I'm actually, I say that, and I'm already immediately going to revise that. Simon Kinberg can't figure out how to yeah. tell the Dark Phoenix story right. I'm, I'm and, not really an X-Men fan, but and I've not seen any, really seen any of the other movies, but I don't know the Dark Phoenix saga. The, I know the name very well, so it's it's a huge story arc. I was like, how can no one get this right? Yeah, I just well, and then and then I saw and after you said that too, how can he not get it right? Like, can we, okay, let's just you want to do spoilers now so we can address some of the things. Yeah, no, uh, guys, we're gonna go into the spoiler territory now. Um, in case you haven't seen the film yet, uh, no need to rush to it. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get into the nitty gritty of it, including multiple character deaths and uh some trivia that contains spoilers uh nick and what movies this reminds me of yeah uh so yeah go ahead and uh look in the description for where we talk about observe and report if you don't want to hear any more spoilers uh okay so here's the movies it reminds me of which is not a good thing uh shazam captain marvel avengers infinity war uh, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. And, um, I think there's another one, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but. Oh, I thought you were reading one... them off of paper. <laughs> well, yeah, I was just, I was kind of out of my head, but dude, that's, it start it starts off like Shazam with someone in a, some, with a child in the backseat of a car and then weird magical superpowers happen and there's a car crash and their parent dies. That's kind of like a trope now with superhero films that like if you're if you're a child in a car something bad will happen to you. Well, here's the thing. I'm okay. I really am okay with the trope of the kids pow the kid kids powers cause cause their parents to be harmed or die. But can you please find another way to do it other than it causes a car wreck? Yeah. Can it be as a child they're helping their dad cut down a cut down a tree and the uh they go to pick up a tree limb and they get a splinter uh or not a, not a splinter but like they they really hurt their hand like maybe it, a big chunk of the tree lands and it, it breaks their hand and they're adrenaline like for the dark phoenix especially this it's kind of a psychic power it a tree limb drops hits their hand breaks their hand the adrenaline rush from the pain causes them to panic and they have i don't really know what to call it but like that psychic boom and it like kills her dad. Holy crap! Start a movie that way. Like, stop doing this car thing. It's it's really getting old. Yeah. It was old in the ring when the in whatever ring movie where the deer attacked the car. Oh, the ring too. Yeah. What was that? Oh four. Uh, I wanna say oh four. I'm not a big ring. Ring is not. I, I haven't seen the second one. I can't remember. They're they're early thousands. <laughs> Well, it's 2019, and that's at least 15 years. Yeah. Like, just just st- stop with this. 
it just it, like look i like shazam it uh, that was one thing where i was like all right this is kind of like stop doing this trope um the uh, so she goes to the hospital professor x comes in she her mom this movie uh starts with why bench seats aren't a thing in cars anymore um so there's the car wreck and uh the mom they find out later in the movie that gene's psychic powers accidentally knocked the mom unconscious and she slumped over the steering wheel and pulled the left and crashed into an oncoming car or truck uh it could have been a hearse but who cares um and she she crashes into it and she, because there's bench seats in the car her head whips back and even though there's a headrest on it it doesn't go higher than mid back and it snaps her neck. Her dad ends up living, but you don't find that out till later in the movie. I'm pretty sure it was only like 25 minutes in, but God, it felt like it was four hours. Uh, so then Professor X comes in and starts being a jerk. Uh, he's a prick. Professor X? Yeah. He. He's a well, self-centered jerk in this movie. He. That's the thing. That's uh, a departure from him in versus the other films. Like that was part of what I was trying to point out with his arc, like, um, well, where this, where this takes place in 1990, because each of the films takes place in a different decade. Like, um, the first film took place in the, or first class, uh, took place in the eighties. Yeah. Eighties. And then, um, it's a little, it, then it's still like late eighties for future past. Um, and then, or maybe I'm getting my decades mixed up. Like each one takes place in a different decade. Um, and so now we're here in 1990, um, and the X-Men are beloved now because they saved the world from the apocalypse happening. Oh. And uh, so Professor Xavier's just getting kind of cocky, thinking he's uh, the cock of the walk. Um, he's not really focusing in so much on why he started this school and how to nurture the mutants better. He's just kind of getting up his own butt and thinking that everything's all hunky-dory when really things are simmering underneath. Like, that's why Mystique is all mad at him for sending them up into space and almost killing Jean. Uh, that's why uh, Beast blames him for the big character death that happens. Like, he's just uh, he's just so not in control, not realizing what's happening. Like, bad things are boiling underneath until he realizes it, but then it's too late, and then that's kind of the arc that he goes through. Like, well, the thing, the thing with him, though, is, you know, turning him into the villain, I'm okay with that. Like, showing that, you know, good is not bl as black and white as a lot of times it's made. Well, not, well, not so but... much, not so much him turning into the villain, and it's him not realize. it's him just, it's a, it's a, it's just his arc that he goes through. He doesn't realize he's being a terrible person, and then he realizes it just in time to save the day. But it feels really forced. It does not feel like it's done where it was done fully on purpose or in a smart manner. Well, yeah, just, and the fact dude, that... It feels it just feels so unbelievably forced. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying you're. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like that was not him, the villain. Like the villain of the film is still, if you consider them like worthwhile to have been in the film, it's the aliens. Like that's the yeah. thing. Like they just feel so tacked on to just add some unnecessary stakes to the film when really they should have just been out of the film, and it should have just all been about the dynamics of the X-Men within themselves, because there's a kernel of a cool idea with 
when Jennifer Lawrence brings up, like, um, in the kind of hokey way she says it, like, uh, you're putting the team in danger unnecessarily. Uh, by the way, the women are saving everybody, so we should be called the ex-women. Like, not to make it, not to, not to make it, like, about that, but, like, little things like that are, like, uh, what should have been the focus of the film, like, the defection of just, like, um, like, she, she wants to leave, and then Beast convinces her to stay, like, the dynamics of the team itself should have been the focus. That women thing, though, like, I, there's so many things in this movie that I think are cool ideas or could have been cool story points. Like, that, that women thing. Honestly, that could have been a cool thing. Um, maybe don't make it one single line and also so unbelievably out of place. Yeah, I I, like, I hated that line only because it kind of felt like... It just didn't feel natural to the, the, to the discussion. It just kind of felt like, oh, hey, let's just yeah. capitalize on a hot topic issue. Uh, did anyone in the recent uh, Me Too movement scandals, did anyone involved in that have a previous involvement in the x-men yes yes somebody did and, and the please moment take that a... line was that moment the line was said i went wow who are they saying who are they apologizing for having hired oh that was my oh please like, that literally was my thought when that line was delivered oh please was, do you know do you wow, know way to shoo in some apology for someone you hired in the past oh please do you know who it is can i was it weinstein uh no no it wasn't uh he didn't produce any of these films because he was the head of miramax um, do you have any guesses? Not a clue. It's somebody that we talked about last week. Uh, nope. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for the suspense, <laughs> like, guys. Who did we talk about last week? We talked about three movies for two and a half hours. I don't know. <laughs> it was the director. It was the director who got fired from Bohemian Rhapsody, Brian Singer. Oh God. And he, his involvement with X-Men was directing X-Men, X-2, X-Men United, uh, and Days of Future Past, and Apocalypse. Well, that explains some of the shots they had on Mystique and the stuff I saw from the movies I didn't see. Like, a lot of the promo shots, I'm like, yeah, we get it, she's hot, can you film something else? Oh, yeah, no, he, um, he as much as Simon Kinberg, was a major reason that X-Men came into... Uh, becoming the franchise that it did because he was such a influence on it being the director of uh, four of these films now. Like, he was just directing the first two and then left after the third one. And then they convinced him to come back for few Days of Future Past and Apocalypse. Um, and then, obviously, uh, he's kind of persona non grata now. But um, yeah. And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or more like the falling the cartoon falling off the cliff like yeah um but no so uh yeah brian singer (laughs) so uh but anyway yeah the uh, moment that line was said i honest like that was my honest thought was wow who are they trying to say we we're sorry empowerment to women because that line dude that was like if me and you were sitting around and we're just like yeah, man, so I tried putting marshmallow fluff on a peanut butter sandwich instead of jelly. It's actually really good. And then if you looked at me and went, yeah, well, they should call them the X-Women because the women are always in danger. Or the women are always saving people. Yeah, like, what? Like, yeah, it's not that, that had nothing to do with the conversation. Yeah, it's it not that the... literally, It literally was, your your ego is out of control and you're putting us in danger for your ego. And... 
you know, you are losing sight of what we what we really are. And this and blah, 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 conversation over. And then it that I'm not even kidding you. The way it was cut and edited into the film felt like because I, I don't know a lot about this movie. I know there was extensive reshoots um, that literally the way it was cut and edited in. I, seriously, I was like, was that line a reshoot that they edited into the scene? It's so out of nowhere and has no flow like that like that storyline would be really cool because it's a woman it's a woman in power or a woman with power so much power they don't know what to do with they don't know how to control her they repress her memories so that they can control her power um the head of the x-men honestly raven throughout the beginning of the movie is raven you know she's she's got the power of the x-men of telling them what to do um the alien thing uh, is do- is done in a woman's body that acts like a robot. But, like, there's there's so many women in this movie, it's like, you could have done something with this. And you missed it. And you think you're making up for it with that trash throwaway line. Yeah, and just to be clear, it's not Me Too that we're criticizing. It's just how, un- no. unnaturally, uh, how unnatural that line of dialogue felt in Absolutely. the midst of this argument, yeah. Yeah, that line was so bad. That's funny you like, say. And, that's and funny. You... And I feel so weird criticizing that line because it's a, it's literally a throwaway line. But that 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 just encapsulates so much of this movie where it's like, wait, what? Like, there's just so many wait what moments in this movie. Yeah, there's. I want to use that to segue into a, a big issue that I have with the film, like involving the reshoots, is that so many things in this film ended up just kind of not mattering. Like, this film felt as much like a Frankenstein in a bad way as Justice League did. Like, I, I, I do... I will defend Justice League, because just, Justice League is still watchable, but you can see it's Frankenstein. <laughs> this oh, film is so frankenstein in such a distracting way. Like, the idea of... Uh, like, Mystique's arc uh, was building up to something kind of cool, but then... And I'll give my theory as to How why it just kind of disappeared. I have a, I have a bit of trivia about that, and then it just kind of went out of nowhere for dramatic tension. So I mean, that's not that big of an issue for me. It's the fact that so many other things, um, like Quicksilver, is in the film for a joke at the start and literally a joke I at the he end. He died. He okay, might as well let's, have. Okay, let's let's just jump to the the big scene that should be addressed. The the scene at the house with her dad. Oh, well, let me finish. Like, I was just saying, like, Quicksilver, like, he had he had virtually nothing. Uh, Nightcrawler, it seemed like it was implying that Nightcrawler, at least at one point, had the idea of his own little arc that was supposed to have some payoff at the end, but he's just kind of... He's just kind of there being blue on screen doing it look, nothing It literally too. looked like due to reshoots for the middle of the film, they chopped out a lot of his story. Like, he has a pretty big part in the beginning, he has a pretty big part in the end, and then he's just kind of gone in the middle. Yeah, and then uh, same with the people uh, where Magneto is, out in Cambodia or wherever he was. Like, yeah. it felt like when all of his friends, quote-unquote, are just kind of getting picked off one by one, but they're all framed in a way that's just like, oh my god, that was such a surprise. I'm just like... Okay, well, my person I met twenty minutes ago, like, like it felt yeah. like it felt like there were so many other so many other plot threads and storylines that were going to be addressed in this film, but then just kind of got hacked to pieces. 
Yeah. Uh, but, so they, uh, yeah, what were you going to say about the house? Okay, so they go to space to save a, spa- a space shuttle after Jean, Jean, her mom dies, Professor X introduces her, credits, uh, and then the, her opening title card. Then they go to space to save a space shuttle. Um, as they're saving the space shuttle, they're, they save everyone but the captain. They're like, we got to go, the weird blot, the weird, they're calling it a solar flare, and if they think that's a solar flare, they need to go back to science class, but... Well, with their um, technology on the ground, they're not seeing it. Like, that's what they see on the radar. Obviously, they... No, no, no. The X-Men are looking at it and go, that's a solar flare. I thought... Didn't Storm, no, it's not. Didn't Storm say that's no solar flare? She, okay, maybe she might have. I don't know. But I thought someone said it was a solar flare. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but, so, they're like, hey, our captain, he's still on the ship. They go back to save the captain. Doing so... Uh, they barely they get back as the ship's blowing up. Jean's left in the ship because she's trying to force field something. She gets in. It turns out it's not a solar flare, and it's something that enhances her powers to like a million. So, um, she suddenly has like the full potential of her power, <coughs> Captain Marvel. And um, she uh, they go back and she's behaving weird and they test her and uh, who cares. And then they go to a party, and she drinks a lot, and then someone set, she sees a fire, and then it reminds her of the thing that she just had, and she freaks out and, like, psychic blasts the party. And then, um, as she's asleep, she starts block, breaking these block downs in her mind that Professor X had put in there from when she was a kid. He started blocking that she was who killed her parents. Now, cool concept cool idea again just like that whole women in power and it should be the ex-women thing they gloss over it yeah uh, like that shit like granted it the whole she spends the whole movie going you lied to me you lied to me they don't ever have a point where she sits down and like someone tries to explain it to her like it's just you lied to me no let me explain and then she's just so emotional she won't listen that's really a detriment to her character I'm like dude you're making her out to be an eight-year-old kid well that's she's part... tw- she's in her 30s man she has a mental capacity let her use it well they kind of use that it's not it's not that she is so emotional that is an issue with the film like because they say like uh when she absorbed all that when she absorbed all that energy, uh, Professor X, when he tries to go into her mind, all he can, he can't do anything because she shuns him out, but he's able to see that her emotional wiring is all extreme. When she gets mad, she flips out. When she's happy, when she's happy. And when she's in an emotional state, like finding out that her dad, one, is alive, and then two, um, he deliberately, like, didn't want her anymore because she scared the crap out of him she she isn't in a state to process that and then it gets enhanced because she's freaking out she doesn't know what to think about that and then that's triggers her powers and then she kind of loses her mind it's the performance it's the performance i have an issue with because i think sophie turner's terrible but i do kind of get the idea of where the writing wanted to go with that well, that, that's the thing with this movie is a lot of this is, you know, I get where you're wanting to go with it, but you but they executed it so poorly. Oh, yeah. Look, Professor X, for someone who's 
power is being in people's brains and mind control and stuff like that. He sucks at understanding psychology. Yeah. Because his first thing is, let's repress this horrible memory. When in the history of anything has that ever worked for anyone ever? Yeah, that's what I was, that's part of what I was getting at with this was a departure for the character. Like for a guy like, for a guy I, and sure maybe they just want to say like, "Oh, well because he's young and he got all this fame." That's not Professor X. Like he is too smart of a character to let little petty things like this alter his character like literally like his the character of this person to well, this kind of an extreme. The the other thing too is when you think about it, you know, two recent movies we reviewed, uh, some kind of monster and Rocket Man, are about how repressing your memories and your emotions leads to some terrible consequences. Those movies pick drugs and alcohol. This one is killing everybody, but. Just it's one of those things where it's like, dude, it just that doesn't work. And for someone who's all about mind control, you think if he understands how to manipulate the mind, he'd understand what it works off of. But God, it's so dumb. Exactly. But yes, exactly. She starts. Un- she starts unlocking all these things. She figures out who it is and she storms out uh, to go find her dad. Her she she realizes that her dad never went looking for her, and that's when she reads into his mind that he asked her to leave, and so. The X-Men show up in their uh, B-52 bomber. Uh, just kidding. I don't know what their plane's called. But um, they show up, and they're all trying to calm her down. And she's so overpowered and emotional. Again, I I find that just poor writing of the character. Uh, I don't know if she was like that in the comics, but in the, I'm criticizing the movie character. Oh, don't eat or, I, I Well, one, but, I, one, I can't speak to the comic itself but because i haven't like read it read it but yeah uh no this doesn't this doesn't take hardly anything from it this is such a re this is such a rewrite she's so surfacey it's insane yeah there's it's so weird when it's a movie about the emotion about what the emotional trauma is that's deep down inside someone what it can truly lead to and ruin and ruin their mind and it's so on the surface, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But, so she goes, she goes, and she gets mad at her dad, the X-Men show up, and she just knocks him unconscious, which I find funny that, like, that's her extent of her powers, is, like, uh, going back to, like, telling you to play the Batman Arkham games, whenever it says, like, interrogate a, a bad guy, you talk to him, and they're like, please don't, please don't kill me, and it's like, alright, fine, and then he, like, knocks, the, he gets the information he needs, and then he knocks him unconscious and leaves him on the floor bleeding, and possibly drowning in their own blood, but he didn't technically kill them, but, like, she's just, like, she's, like, oh, they're here, (sighs) and then they pass out, um, she goes outside, and she starts monologuing with them, and this leads to one of my biggest issues with the movie, it's not as bad as Hellboy, but, man, no one talks like a human in this movie, uh, it's pretty exposition heavy, and also, I'm kind of uncomfortable with how much she says father and not dad. That's a weird nitpick on me, but I was like, who just constantly refers to their dad as their father? Like, I just, I was like, are you Jesus? But it just made me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so she's, they're talking to her and again, 
you know, they, they start trying to get her. Uh, Cyclops is pretty useless in the scene, just like the rest of the movie. Um, Beast tries shooting her with a taser or something. Uh, Storm tries electrocuting her to knock her out, but she's faster than lightning, which that was pretty neat. Quicksilver tries uh, running up a bunch of debris that's falling through the air to go tackle her, and she moves the debris out of the way, and he runs and falls. And this is the scene why I thought he was dead. Um well, he, he uh, and I and I say that he might as well have been because we do not see him again until the literal last minute of the film. Yeah, but what I'm getting at, like, dude, he runs and like she moves the debris out of the way and he like runs and falls and stuff, and it looked like he broke his neck almost. I was like, oh, dude, he's dead. Well, it's and then my frustration comes out of this mo- not so much because that's lazy writing, but uh, I'm just personally offended by the fact that you had arguably the coolest character introduction for Quicksilver in Days of Future Past, and he was a prominent character in there, and he was a prominent supporting character in Apocalypse, and then you and just decide... nothing with him. Literally nothing. I'm not being hyperbolic. He is on screen for five minutes, if that. Like... The Avengers did more with him. Yeah. In one movie, where he died. Yeah. But, so, they're like, all right, well, we're going to send Gene to, like, Professor X like farts and freezes time and then they send uh jennifer lawrence over to talk to her and this is the scene where i was i was talking about where like i i really believe jennifer lawrence of i've been to war with you you're my sister you're my family i'll i just want you safe and happy i don't i don't care if you tell me you don't want to be an x-men anymore i like frankly i'm questioning it too but right now we just need you to relax calm down and let's talk this through and then gene's like five-year-old tantrum and then she like throws raven into a chunk of wood and this movie really pulls back from a lot of gore i don't know if gore is the right word but this movie really pulls back on a lot of violence and tough imagery because they won't show you what happens to raven for a solid minute and a half even though you're like she got impaled through the chest i've seen this in eight thousand other movies um and she dies and uh the best one of the best parts of the movie's gone after that um oh hard oh hardly i thought jennifer lawrence was so phoned in in this performance like and i believed i don't know what it was uh, like i don't think her character was written all that well but i was like i believe the job she's putting into it ugh, i i couldn't i but well part of it's part of it's this like the trivia i wanted to talk about was um uh again like i have more of a reason to believe this even though it's on IMDb, which you can always take with a grain of salt. Um, uh, Mystique and Magneto were not originally intended to appear, as Jennifer Lawrence implied in several interviews that she was done playing Mystique, though she said in an interview that she had a change of heart as uh, she didn't want fans to be confused if her character got uh, Chuck, Chunning- uh, Chuck Cunningham syndrome uh, treatment. Uh, yeah, sorry, the Chuck Cunningham syndrome treatment. I do not know who that is referring to, but a recast. <laughs> Chuck Cunningham, clearly. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but a recast. Like if the fil- the film's going on and she got recasted, um, I don't believe that's exactly why she came back. But yeah, she, I do believe that she did not. I think want... she had a car to pay off. Yeah, I don't believe that she wanted to be in this film, and I'm certain that her getting killed off was, excuse me, going to be a part of uh, her coming back into the film, and. Yeah. Um, and you're right, the film is very much PG when it comes to violence, uh, in terms of graphicness, 
uh, except for... Graphicness, there we go. Except for Logan. Logan is R and very, very, very R <laughs> when it comes yeah. to its violence. But, uh, but, but, yeah, no, I called that she was going to die when that first trailer came out. Like, the fact that this was even... Like, when that trailer came out and she's flying through the air, I was just like, oh, she's dead. She got her wish. Yeah. She got written out of the franchise, so she doesn't have to do this anymore. So, but the other, what, the other criticism I have is, can they please stop using certain set pieces like i only saw a bit of x-men 2 i only saw the trailer for last stand and i've seen this movie can you stop having confrontations by people walking out of a house and standing on a porch uh apparently not apparently that's a mainstay for (laughs) x-men and then what was there was another one uh the train sequence uh i hated it at the end of the movie i feel like that was a reused set piece from another movie if not oh well but it was so poorly filmed. It made me think of so many films where they just used the shaky cam to make it seem more intense than it actually was. Like, Simon didn't do anything remotely creative when it came to that sequence. Like, or anything to make yeah. it seem thrilling. Like, uh, even when the train crashed, like, uh, and then she just started going uh, all Thanos on people, just turning them into dust. Like, Oh, I know what it reminded me of. Another movie it reminded me of. Deadpool 2. Uh, the train sequence reminded me of the of the semi-scene in Deadpool 2. Oh, right. Yeah, when they're fighting in that prisoner van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I got but, you. So, so anyway, they, they do that. At some point, aliens land, and this one lady's like, I'm going to go check on why our dog's barking. And then she sees really poorly rendered CGI aliens who kill her and start impersonating her. She comes back, acts like a robot. And everyone's like, Sarah, what's wrong? And then she looks at them and she, like, uses the force to just spin their intestines in them. Um, Weird flex, but then, cool. <laughs> yeah, but, and then, so they show up and they're like, we're at Jean Grey's house. we got to find her because she got the superpowers of this thing that did stuff to our planet and it's dead now. Um, and the only thing I could think throughout that entire time was they go into the house and they go talk to her dad. And the whole time I was like, so is he dead? Because they never give any resolution to what the biological dad's storyline is. Is he dead? I believe that he was killed by those aliens. Because those aliens... Well... They twist they twist his stomach to get him to talk. But they did that, the they did that same no. thing to kill the people at that family when they like took all but, those people. But they were trying to get information out of him. And why would you try and get information out of him? Why would you do that to kill him? They're using it as torture to get it out of him. They don't say he's dead. Well, it won't matter now. <laughs> yeah. So they get information. I don't really remember a long chunk of the movie other than she goes to Magneto. Magneto's like, whose blood's on your shirt? And uh, that was, they just he just kept saying that in his conversation with her. Whose blood is that on your shirt? Can you just can you just go? Hey, it's someone's blood that's not hers, and just address that it's a problem. Well, he um, and to set and to set up the scene, like like in every X Men film, Magneto just ran away and is just trying to do his own thing, just trying to cope with just leaving the past behind and just trying to make something out of his future. But they pull me back future, in, but... like <laughs> every X Men film, they just pull him back in. Yeah, so. He uh he talks to her. The military shows up because they're trying to track her because she killed an X Men and flipped over like three cop cars or something. Who cares? 
and uh, she, 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 he's like, oh, the military's here. Stay here and don't touch anything. And then he goes and talks to him. They're like, we're looking for Jean Grey because we're the military and we're angry because reasons. And, uh, and if you haven't caught on by now, there's a lot of this movie I don't care about. Um, but <laughs> they, uh. They're like, hey, they land their helicopters, and then the helicopter engine starts spinning, and they look at Magneto, who's arguing with him to get off his land, and he's like, he goes, stop spinning the propeller, Magnet Man, and he's like, and then he gives a cliche, that's not me. Like, dude, can you say that's no moon? Um, But he's like, that's not me, and it comes out, and Jean Grey's got the helicopter spinning, and then he can't get it to stop or get it to land, and she's making it go, and he's like, get on the helicopter, and... uh, and uh, so they pile all the guys on the helicopter, and then they and then they let go and throw the helicopter, and it kind of flies weird for a millisecond. It flies off, and it's like that's not how physics work. Also, this movie doesn't understand science. Um, so the opening space scene, this was a like baffling confusion thing for me. So they show they sh- they have a they have a scene where they're like we got to get uh the nightcrawler guy we got to put something on him so he can breathe in space so they in their in their spaceship they just take a helmet and put it on him and then duct tape it to him and i was like well one there's no way that's airtight two he's gonna start breathing co2 and three i don't know if you've ever seen anything about space ever in the history of anything but it's really cold like insanely cold He's just wearing a helmet and his normal jacket. Yeah, the spa- the the and then this it's implied it's trying to imply that these are like all-purpose, all-weather supersuits that will keep you yeah. warm or cold or anything then, just because. And then Jean, and then Jean's out there, and just her jacket. She doesn't have a helmet on, so all right, cool. She used a force field to have oxygen, whatever. She's still gonna freeze to death. Um. And in fact, they address that it's cold when she gets back in the ship and laser eye guy, um, Cyclops, which <laughs> no, that no, my name rhymes three times. Hmm. Sorry. No, no, twice. My, my name rhymes laser eye guy. Oh, that rhymes. <laughs> so, uh, so he gets back in and he's holding her and her lips are purple. But anyway, back to where we were in the movie. Um, so the alien lady shows up at some point and convinces Jean to help her. Or no, they throw the helicopter and goes, you gotta get out of here. And so she leaves, and then Beast is blaming Professor X, which is a whole other subplot we forgot to talk about because this whole movie sucks. Well, um, well, that's, it's, it's a, the, the storyline there is that um, it kind of stems from Days of Future Past and um, Apocalypse where... Uh, Mystique and Beast have a thing, even though Mystique also has feelings for Magneto. But like, that kind of, that kind of is more Plutonic. But she obviously has feelings for Magneto. But they become more romantically inclined uh, in Apocalypse and uh, Future Past. So when she dies, Beast freaks out, and then that's what gets him to go to Magneto himself and tell him that. Uh, well, he asks, you, she didn't tell you, tell me what? Raven's dead. And so since they both love her, 
they decide to team up and go try to kill Gene. And then after more pointless exposition dump, just to speed this up a little, uh, Professor X wants to save Gene. He realizes that he screwed up. He's been an idiot. The problem's been in plain sight in front of him the whole time. We got to save Jean and try to help her get this out of her, whatever we can do to make her stop uh, destroying things. Uh, while at the same time, the aliens find her, uh, Jean. They have their own little expedition dump, exposition dump about how this stuff destroyed their planet. So now they want to harness it and use the power to recreate their planet, but on Earth because you happen to be here and we just happen to need to be in this film because apparently a civil war scenario was not dramatic enough for this film. So why not have aliens yeah. in it too? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so then, so then the aliens, they, they break in and they go to this one house and, uh, that scene where you're talking about where they kind of have that big exposition dump, that was the big star Wars episode three scene for me. Um, cause I was like, have you oh, ever, cool. have you ever heard of emperor? So-and-so <laughs> yeah. Just the Darth Plagueis, like, that's what I was I can say. train you to use your power. Something, <laughs> something dark side. My God, dude. Man, here's the thing. I like Revenge of the Sith. I, we've ranked... We're the. I'm sure the Star Wars prequels will be time machines of their own at some point. Oh, Attack of the so Clones for sure. Kids. But, dude. Oh, my God. I don't need one of the most exposition-heavy... And, like, just kills the momentum of the movie scenes, recreated, and another movie. Just stop. It sucks. Don't, I, I don't care if you know how to teach them their power. Like, just, it sucked. And, God. So, they walk out, and they're like, oh, the Vixmen are here. And then they have this fight. And they're like, don't kill her, Magneto. And he turns around, and he's like, I'm going to kill her, and... Don't give me some stupid speech. And then, okay, this honestly made me laugh. It's like, you're going to say some dumb speech, aren't you? And then he starts talking and he goes, see, I told you. <laughs> like, that's funny. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, they go into Killer. They have a really neat scene where he uses a subway car that he yanks out of the ground through the asphalt as a battering ram. But then he goes up there to Killer and she breaks his helmet off. Which I thought would have been neat is if she, instead of breaking the helmet apart, if she just would have crushed it with her psychic powers and popped his head like a pimple. That would have been neat. But this isn't Brightburn. So, oh, that'd have been, that'd have been, that'd have been, well, one, probably too graphic. And then two, that would have been too creative and ballsy for this film that's clearly aiming for generic mediocrity. Yeah, no, it's a good idea, right? So clearly it has no place in this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she's like, she not I don't know if she knocks him out or what she does with him, but he just she stops just throws it, in, she throws him out the window and he passed and he's passed out. Okay, I was gonna say he just suddenly stops being in the scene. Yeah, she um, yeah throws him out the window and then that's when Professor X comes in. Laser eye guys outside being pointless. Um, and then, uh, Professor X goes in there with laser eye guy or something, and who cares? And. Professor X, she honestly, like, this was the one thing where I was like, movie, I don't know where you're going with this. She tells Professor X to walk to her and tell him her tell him to her face whatever he's saying. and Because he's apologizing, which I was like, all right, cool. He apologizes. He realizes he's wrong. But he's apologizing to her. And she goes, say, like, say it to my face. 
and get up or walk up to me and tell me or something like that. Yeah, and she like, she says she says walk to me. she just she's like walk to me. And this is the point. This is one point in the film that I thought came close to actually having something pretty emotionally kind of cool, because she makes oh I she makes him get up and he's opposite. and she's controlling his legs to awkwardly walk up the stairs, and then yeah the only the and then only he mind it... and then he mind connects with her and says that um, in like and is apologizing and like showing her the past and showing what he was trying to do like how he was saving her from a dad that obviously didn't want her. So then she realizes that she needs to calm down and go with him. I I don't I don't want to say funny because that's not the right word. Because I wasn't laughing at any point during the scene, but it just was so just out of nowhere that I was like, "What are you doing?" But just like it's just where she had him walk, I was like, "What? Why?" Well, she wanted like, to. She wa- She was. She was. She was uh, mentally kind of like torturing him in a way. Like, uh, that was. I didn't get that. Exp- I didn't get that impression at at all. She was. Uh, I mean, that was just her really just like messing with him, like trying to like borderline torture him a little bit before Hon- I guess honestly, killing him. It came across as someone picking on a handicapped guy. Well, yeah, she she hated. She was hating him at the, in the moment, like because of what she was perceiving as something that he was hiding the dad deliberately from her until that moment when she realizes that, oh, the dad didn't want me to begin with. So then uh, she lets him go. She realizes that she's doing something bad. And then the alien is actually like, well, if you don't want this anymore, just give it to me. And then uh, she starts giving the powers back. But then Professor X tells her to stop. Like, no, this is a bad idea. But it's too late. She takes the power. You give her the sixth infinity stone. Yeah, she, she reali- uh, it's too late. So then, but then, but then, ex machina, uh, Cyclops comes in, shoots the alien through the window. But then, when it seems like okay, we're all good, the police come in and arrest them. And then that's when we get to the train sequence, and there's nothing really plot worthy. Like it's just a train sequence. Like it's they all make they all make they all make they all make peace. They all realize they need to save Jean because the aliens are coming to get the rest of her power out of her. And it's literally. The end of Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah. Because it's just the alien lady. After a certain point, they beat all the all the alien henchmen. Cool, whatever. That's the, whatever. It's ter- it's terrible. It's terribly filmed. It's terribly staged. It's boringly executed. And then and, and then yeah. and then lady who's totally phoning in her performance so that she can pay off her beach house, uh, comes in, and she just starts walking down this hallway and picking off our heroes one by one so that she can get so she can finally get all the power that she wants the most in the world. And have the power to do whatever she wants and kill all life and run the world the way she wants. So Thanos, I mean Alien Lady, is walking through, picking everyone off one by one like it's nothing. And nothing harms her in any way. And then Jean Grey picks up the train, flips it and spins it. And then um, she grabs the lady. She like overloads the circuit and then flies the lady straight up in the air like in Brightburn. And then Godzilla, like, thermonuclear detonates and blows up. And frankly, the movie should have ended there. But no, they have to have some really crappy monologue at the end where they put a sign saying that the school's named after her. Professor X is retired. Uh, and then Magneto shows up and he's like, let's play chess, Charles. And game. And then they start playing chess and it goes to credits and there's no post-credits no post scene. 
and I texted you saying it was total and complete garbage. There, I do want to give the film mild credit. Um, we were—I can't remember if we were talking uh, if I brought this on mic, uh, up on mic or not. But how there was nothing to kind of celebrate about the franchise, no references, no callbacks, no like. Uh, there wasn't any kind of way to, that they wanted to like symbolize like coming full circle or coming to an end, except they kind of sort of do that because throughout all of the films, the Brian Singer films, the, the first class films, Charles and Magneto have played chess periodically from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got what they were doing with that, even though at this point in the film too, I was so checked out and done is just like, why this, like, why was this necessary to like tack? It just kind of was just, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't pay off anything for me really. Like, yeah. I, like I, again, kind of how I feel about the whole film, like, I, well-intentioned, but execution is so critically bad. Like, um, it had, it had good ideas, but they were all, like, roughed script ideas, and then the studio just, like, put it out as a movie. Like, yeah, and part yeah, of the reshoots, my... the, the last bit of trivia I have, the part of the reshooting because this film had so many multiple reshoots, like it came out and they were saying that the ending felt too much like a popular superhero film that just came out. Infinity There's War two or things. Captain Marvel. It's two of those. Well, it's one of those two. Well, no, two things that I, I have to say about that. IMDb says that the final battle wasn't supposed to be on a train. It was supposed to be in space. So I do think that you're right when you texted me and said that was totally going to be an Infinity War battle in space. Yeah. The other thing that I want to mention to the listeners was that I wasn't thinking about that whole being reshot for the ending. I thought the ending was those last five minutes getting reshot because when you see Professor X in Paris sipping on tea, my immediate thought was, oh my God, he's going to have some food brought over to him. He's going to look up. He's going to see Gene, and then he's going to smile, and then it's going to cut to black like the end of The Dark Knight Rises. The one, the one last thing I want to say before we just stop talking about this movie, you, this is a story I don't know if we've told our listeners, but me and you have discussed this multiple times. Um, Justice League. My dad, I remember, I went and saw the movie in theaters. The movie ended. And uh, a while later, my dad asked me if I'd seen that movie. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, what'd you think of it? Uh, I remember thinking it was bad, but I don't know why. And he's like, and he goes, what? I was like, I don't remember a single thing from that movie. And so he kept saying he wanted to see it. So he rented it and watched it. And I watched it with him. And two weeks later, he comes home from the movie store with the Blu-ray again and I was like, why'd you rent that? We just watched that two weeks ago. And he goes, no, we didn't. I was like, yeah, we did. And he goes, I don't remember it. I was like, yeah, that's exactly my point. When I told you I don't remember anything, that movie's completely forgettable. He what, he I, I have seen that movie two to three times. I don't remember that movie. He's seen it at least twice. He doesn't remember, or one, once or twice. He doesn't remember the movie. That's, dude, this movie's that. Like, just, but it's to cap off a franchise, man. It sucked. I don't remember, I don't. Like, I know we just did a, like, whole recap of it. I was struggling to remember stuff that entire time. I, 
yeah, I'm not going to. This will fade in my memory like apocalypse. Like, I'm not gonna remember. If it next you week. just if you just ask me right now to recap apocalypse, I can't. I I literally can't. I would have to go watch it and then attempt to after after the fact. Like that's gonna that's it's gonna happen with me by next I... by next week with this film because it's so it's it, it aimed it aimed for mediocrity really like that's what it seemed like watching this film like i'm sh- i know they didn't like i you can see lots of ideas that like i said before were frankensteined into this but clearly so all the actors so didn't want to do this it seemed like simon was the only one that wanted to do this and it's just such a patchwork boring execution of shamefully the most memorable story in the x-men franchise and they've done it an injustice twice now and it's it's even it's even worse that this was supposed to be the final film of fox technically having control of it and the final film of this first class cast that started off so great with first class stayed great for future past kind of crapped the bed with apocalypse and then now this is this is bad too like it's it's a fart and super strong winds yeah, it's there, but you're not gonna remember it. There, you're not gonna have enough time to remember it. It's just, it's, it's, it's honestly very sad that this is what the fans of this franchise got as their ending. In an age where we have Captain Marvel and Infinity er, and Endgame and uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming all coming out this year, and assuming Far From Home is good, which it probably will, like, how? It's under the Marvel banner, but how did they not send somebody over there to to make sure this ship stayed on course? Like, clearly something happened where they... I want to see what the movie was beforehand when they realized that they needed to do reshoots, honestly. Like, I kind of want to see how big that train wreck was. Like, yeah. <laughs> just for reference. God, like... I don't want to see anything more of this movie. I... I... Just... It's so bad. Well, we... It, well... Well, to close this out, you'll thank my lucky stars that uh, you, we didn't start off with Origins, because I promise this that was worse. I'm Honestly, and, the thing I'm most glad about with this movie is I'm glad I, that I started those Excel spreadsheets to keep track of our ratings on movies, because if we were just going to go off this, I would forget we saw this movie. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to put it on any list. No, I... Again... It's not as Origins is worse. You didn't see the worst one, and we will. I I will make an effort to get that into the time machine because it is ten years old. Um, <laughs> but you should you should owe it to yourself now to watch the original trilogy, even Last Stand, uh, just to have this that reference now of like, or that that understanding of like, oh wow, we ruined the story twice now. Um, and then uh, obviously, I mean, we'll watch. I mean, watch all of them, dude. Um, it's it, I want to this movie like. I take this movie with a grain of salt of like, look, this is one of the worst in the franchise. Don't let this one ruin it. View the view the good to average movies, and if you don't like the franchise after that, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, that's uh, that's our thoughts on Dark Phoenix, uh, the disappointing end to an otherwise heralded legendary franchise that kind of helped bring us to where we are today. We cannot. We cannot stress this enough that this doesn't ruin the franchise, but the fact that hands let it end this way is just it's just really go, it's just really sad. Go see any of the four previous theater movie reviews we've given you instead of this movie.
Yeah, or or hell, go see Secret Life of Pets. We didn't, but surely it was yeah, better than this. Yeah, go see Slop too. <laughs> uh, man, yeah. Let's uh, let's forget about this as quick as we can. Uh, let's go into the time machine because we have to go to 2009 and talk about the Seth Rogen dark comedy Observe and Report. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Nick and I just got out of the time machine, and we landed in 2009 to watch Observe and Report, starring Seth Rogen, Ray Liotta, Michael Pena, and Anna Faris. Uh, the film is written and directed by Mr. Jody Hill. Uh, he is most famous for uh, producing HBO series, including Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals, Uh among other collaborations that he had with uh, Dane McBride. Uh, they actually founded a studio together along with uh, director David Gordon Green. And uh, my thoughts on this film, uh, this wasn't the first time I saw this. I watched it when it was on, uh, I want to say HBO, or it wasn't Netflix like this time. Uh, it was on a different streaming service. And I suppose what I think about this film is that I see a lot of commonalities and similarities in this to Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals. Um, the, the lead characters are virtually identical outside of the actual profession that they have. Uh, their personalities are very egotistical but not exactly in a selfish way, like well-intentioned, well-intentioned, but just kind of like this kind of pompous, like he doesn't realize he's actually terrible about it, but he's trying really hard anyway. Um, like uh, his character on vice principles, uh, he wants to be a, he wants to not be the vice principal. He wants to be the principal and will do anything to get there. Uh, he's bounded down. He was a hotshot baseball player, fell out, but wants to come back. Doesn't realize he's out of his league now. Here, uh, this time played by Seth Rogen instead of uh, Dane McBride, like the TV shows, Seth Rogen is tired of being a security cop, and he wants to be a real cop, but doesn't realize he's kind of terrible. And Seth Rogen is not as kid-friendly Paul Blart. <laughs> exactly. Um, but... Um, with that, I feel like this probably, I want to know if this was in his head as a TV show or if how any of these like ended up in his head versus what went to the screen. Cause I feel like this may have been an idea that he could have entertained expanding into a 10 episode season, like any of the Eastbound or Vice Principal seasons. Like it kind of felt like. It was weird for me to look at this as like just a film, just because I was so I'm so familiar and such a big fan of the shows. Like seeing him do a movie versus a TV show, like I kept thinking about like if he wanted to do this as a movie or if he wanted to do this as a show and then it became a movie. And um, even still, um, I feel like just in general, it's it's a it's better executed when he does a TV show, like just, I don't think this works as well as his other TV shows. And again, it's really, I'm not trying to strictly compare these, but it's again, it's really hard for me not to, because 
this is so carbon copy to these other projects that I know him from. It's really kind of impossible to not. Yeah, but keep those you those came out after this, right? Yeah. Or okay, so um, no, Eastbound. Eastbound came out. I want to say. That's actually a great question, because Vice Principals was in 2011. But what I'm getting at is, if it came out after, that's not a detriment to the movie. That's a detriment to them. Eastbound, to the, to the Eastbound, Eastbound started in 2009 also. So Eastbound uh, started in February of 2009, and Observe came out in April 2009. So these, these were kind of more or less uh, formed at the same time. But, um, okay, that's not really it's not really a detriment to them though. Well, no, it's not a detriment. It's just like, um, and I'm and I don't want to say this is a bad movie. I'm just I'm giving you the full context to which I came in, into this movie. Ended up like I couldn't escape this kind of frame of mind that I had while I was watching this movie. Like, I feel like this was Jody, not quite in full Jodiness yet. Like I could see how he went from this to then continue show running the latter seasons of Eastbound and Down, like seasons two, three, and four, and then continue carrying that into Vice Principals. And I think he pulls it off better in the TV medium. Not to say, again, not to say this is bad, like bad. I laughed my head off in so much of this film. Yeah. And it is kind of cool to see a lot of the little signatures and trademarks of him that are present in the shows as well. Like, uh, uh, time manipulation shots like a lot of fast forwards and a lot of slowdowns uh he loves montages he loves narration um and obviously the the characteristics that carry over he only makes things about stubborn lead white men um <laughs> with kind of goofy supporting characters on the side um but yeah it's just it's it's like i said it's the fact that i've seen him do this better is the only reason I wouldn't give this a full perfect rating. Um, and I think, and I also have an issue with how the mental health aspect of it was played into the story. I don't, it's kind of weird to me that like he was bipolar because it kind of like, I, it, it, it's weird execution how that ties into the story. Not only in the fact that like it's revealed in the 45 minute mark, of an 85 minute movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a quick set. But it kind of just it didn't really seem like it kind of mattered that much. It kind of just seemed like kind of a weird tacked on excuse to like make us feel bad for him kind of just being a jerk. Yeah. Like it felt like they got through it got through a chunk of the movie making it and then someone went, "Hey, he sounds like he's got bipolar disorder." And they went, Oh crap! Yeah, just add that on there so that people don't don't just criticize us for not addressing that. That's probably what he has. Yeah, like that's kind of clunkily handled, and kind of felt unnecessary. Um, but um, as a whole, though, uh, as much as I was curious about, like, hmm, I wonder how Danny would have done this role because I'm certain he was asked to do this first. I thought Seth was hilarious. I thought Aunt Anna Ferris was hilarious. I don't know how they convinced Ray Liotta to be in this film, but he was hilarious. Yeah, when he showed up, first time I saw this, when he showed up, I was like, what the hell's he doing in this movie? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a bizarre little project, but, and it goes into some really dark places for you guys that haven't, if you haven't watched this and you're just listening to us talk about it, it goes, it's not afraid to go into some really twisted places, uh, but it's so, it's, um, I used this to describe a, uh, another film not too long ago here, um, it just, it just goes down so fast, so easy, 
Um, it's a nice, fast movie. Um, it doesn't ask much of you as a viewer other than to just, hey, when we get dark, let's, let's just go with it. And I had a lot of fun watching it. It's not, again, like my subjectiveness with what Jody Hill would later go on to do aside. Uh, this is I, this is still a pretty overall, pretty good movie. Um, on our scale, I will give it a full brownie pan. This is a movie that I I kind of accidentally saw the first time I saw it. I actually saw it about a month ago. Um, I went over to Kelsey's and she had to study for a bit before I think we were gonna go get ice cream or something. So I just started watching it, and uh, it's such a quick movie that when she was done, I was like, Hey, can do you mind waiting like fifteen more minutes so I can just see the end of this movie? Um, and then I told Dan, I was like, we have to do this movie at some point. I basically have my review done. I'll rewatch it to see if I missed on anything. But, um, and also the very end of the movie, uh, we don't typically do these for time machines, but we'll give a spoiler warning before the very end of the movie. Cause it's so out of nowhere. Um, but rewatching it, you can kind of see like a little foreshadowing, but it's actually well done foreshadowing. Um, but I really like it. I'm a big, like, I like Seth Rogen type movies. Not necessarily Seth Rogen movies, but, like, that kind of comedy I like. Um, this movie is uh, Paul Bart meets Hot Fuzz. Um, it's pretty funny. It got, I don't really remember it getting much notoriety when it came out. Um, it is, it's, it's got, like, a, I think it has, like, a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes, and I read in the trivia that this was Seth Rogen's third lowest grossing film. Yeah, and it's kind of sad, because it honestly, you know, he plays a schlubby screw-up who doesn't care in pretty much every movie, except for this one. He's a schlubby screw-up, but he really, really cares. Like, it's a guy, it's a guy who things didn't go his way in his life, but he's still trying to make it something out of his life um i like it i thought it was um i thought it was really funny um i give this um i give this a full pan uh without sprinkles yeah just a regular full pan um i uh, i really really liked it it's um Honestly, it it's kind of a refreshing change of pace from the typical Time Machine movies we've done. Um, Where you hate it and I'm just relishing no, in it. No, <laughs> I, I don't mean it in that way. We haven't really done comedies. We did Wedding Crashers and that was hard to sit through. Yeah. Um, no, we don't. Yeah, we haven't done outside of Wedding Crashers. I don't believe we have. Yeah, so I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, he, no, it's... He's uh so we're gonna go talk about the plot of the movie again before we give the end of the movie, we will give a spoiler warning because the first time I saw it, I went, "What the hell?" It's well, so well, out of nowhere. Well, no, let's just go ahead and do a spoiler warning in general because there's so many things that I want to talk about that like I just want to like. Okay. Let's. I mean, let's. Yeah, let's Spo- just go ahead and say it's warning, a spoiler. If you if you don't want this movie spoiled for you, and granted, this is a movie that could very easily be spoiled. So if you haven't seen this movie, great movie. We both recommend it, and now we're going into uh, spoiler territory. Yeah, um, I'll I'll give us the basic setup here. Basically, it's it's set in a mall. Which, um, by the way, how often do you go to malls? Still, <laughs> I well, just want to ask. I, in general, I worked I worked in a mall uh, for a long time. I I think 
two years. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, you did. So what's funny is I identify with a lot of this movie because I'm like, I understand a lot of this. Um, Yeah, I completely forgot you did. Yeah, uh, I worked for I worked for one company like a year and a half. And then I worked for another company for three months in, in our mall here in Lafayette. Uh, so I, I, a lot of this movie I identified with, I was like, yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> this uh, is ramped up a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> minus, a... minus the, uh, <laughs> minus the heroin and then beating up kids on skateboards. <laughs> uh, not to jump the gun too far on there yet, but yes, the, uh, so basically the, the, the setup of the film is that Seth Rogen plays a mall cop and, um, he is on the pursuit of uh, I don't remember if they gave him a nickname or anything, but they're he, the they're pervert. looking for um, <laughs> just call the, him the sick pervert throughout the movie. Yeah, uh, this pervert who is going around the parking lot in a trench coat, flashing everybody, and that's the setup. And did you did already you ever listen to already Ray if that's already if that's a little too dark for you, like just saddle up, buddy. Like, did <laughs> Did you listen to Ray Stevens as a kid? Ray Stevens, I don't think so. Okay, he's pretty big in my family. He has a song called The Streak about a streaker. And the only thing I could think of when he's running around exposing himself to everybody is I was like, if there's one guy in the background that goes, don't look at all, I would have cried with laughter because that's a huge part of that song. <laughs> that's awesome. I'll have to look that up yeah. when we're done taping. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, so basically... Um, He's just, uh, he wants to help out, uh, but obviously he's not finding him. So eventually the, the police get involved and, um, that's when Ray Liotta comes in. He's the detective that comes in, uh, <laughs> after Anna Ferris uh, gets flashed. Anna Ferris is, uh, she works in the dumbest uh, woman ever. Yeah. She works in a department store at the beauty counter. And he's completely infatuated with her. She basically, though, she's basically the perfume lady at a Macy's. Yeah, I, that's why I was going to ask where you, where you thought she worked at. Was that basically Mace, just Macy's, Macy's or JCPenney? It was, it was Macy's or Penny's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's infatuated with her, even though she clearly isn't uh, with him. And um, at the same time, uh, he completely ignores this girl he gets coffee from at the uh, at the hot dog store for some reason. Wasn't no, that a hot dog it was place? coffee shop? Oh, it was just a straight-up coffee shop? Yeah, it was, like, coffee and, I think, like... Oh, her, her uniforms, the uniforms are weird to me. Like, for some reason, I'm thinking that they sold hot dogs there, and he just happened to always get coffee from her. But, uh, oh. uh, but yeah, uh, he gets coffee from this girl every day, and uh, she's really infatuated with him, but he could give her two less craps. Um, <laughs> so then... Um, I mean, I'm not trying to glance over too much, but I mean, that's more or less basically the setup uh, to which then Seth Rogen wants to join Ray Liotta, even though he's kind of screwing up everything uh, (laughs) and getting in his way. He even tries out to become a cop. uh, And obviously he fails the psych evaluation because... The scene scene where Ray Liotta is talking to uh, Anna Faris and he goes... He's gonna, what are you talking about? She was targeted. He goes, why do you think she was targeted? She goes, because she's obviously the most beautiful woman in this mall. And he's gonna come back and he's gonna kill her. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Dial it down, man. And then and then he goes, she, he is not gonna come back and kill her. And he goes, no, he is. He's gonna come back and he's gonna kill you. Oh, 
so on that note, I want to say, like, before, like, going through more of the plot itself, um, that's, that's another kind of signature of Jody's, is that, like, the main characters over-sensationalize everything. Like, what was, what's it, um, I can't remember what it's called when you, um, Those... always just, always, just, like, you always just kind of go straight to the worst case scenario you always the main, kind of the main characters act like they're constantly in an action movie while everyone else is just like no dude this is regular life will you dial it back please yeah no um same with uh this kind of over grandizing of themselves like uh like when he tries out for it to be a cop and he fails the uh he fails the mental test the psyche um, valve oh psyche valve that's what God. i was trying to say um well in the psyche valve that's when it's that's when it's revealed 40 minutes into the film that he's bipolar. Uh, not only that is revealed, but I was dying laughing when he was just like, well, I want to be a cop. I want to be a cop because when I take down all those bad guys and they all look up at me and they go, oh, my God, we love you so much. I can look back at them and say, I'm thank just you. It's just, it's just <laughs> thank you. I don't do this for the fame. I'm just the guy with the gun. And then he does like, finger oh pistols. He does finger pistols, like, <laughs> and then he acts like he pulls out a shotgun, and goes. But I like in the I like in and that then he just psyche winks at her. He's too. just like, ah. I like when he in that psyche valve too. She goes, I see that you're on a prescription, or I see that you have a prescription for a, uh, Zoloft or something. And uh, he goes, yeah, but I'm not taking it anymore. And she goes, oh, congratulations. What? Why did your doctor decide to take you off that? He goes, oh, he didn't. I just stopped taking him. And he just stares at her with this big smile. And I'm like, that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. The, the personality that um, that he has, like, uh, that that charisma that he has, where, like, he thinks that he's right and he thinks he's got the best ideas and, like, um, just the kind of... Um, I don't know what kind of, uh, well, they say it's bipolar in the film, but like really to me, like it comes off as almost like some sort of like, a like a more of a personality disorder. Uh, like well, I mean, it's bipolar personality, personality, disorder. personality disorder, split personality disorder. Yeah. It kind of like, uh, or even just like an extreme case of just, uh, uh, egomania or, um, but, uh, <laughs> I like the scene. Uh, one of the scenes I really like is when he, fails as a cop and he goes back and he sees the coffee girl and he goes back and she's crying and he just goes in the back and starts screaming at Patton Oswalt and threatening to throw him in the oven and he's like grabbing his head and goes get in there get in there get in there it's like ah uh, look I know Seth Rogen play, plays Seth Rogen in pretty much every single movie this is the one where I was like this isn't Seth Rogen He's actually acting in this scene, and it's pretty convincing that he is full of rage and going to kill a guy by putting him in an oven. Yeah, he's just um, he's just so emotionally extreme, kind of like what we were talking about with Gene. Like, uh, he loves, loves Anna Ferris. He put, he, like, dresses himself up, buys flowers, and in uh, the scene where he's going to take her on a date, <laughs> and because she convinces, he convinces her to go on a date with him. No, After, he doesn't. He kidnaps her, basically. And well, holds, he, he and holds he a thinks, date as ransom. Well, he thinks that she's gonna go. He thinks that they're going on a date when she agrees to just kind of go out in general with him. But then, so he doesn't realize what's going on. He dresses up, buys her flowers, is at her house, thinking dresses, that she's dresses, on the other side of the dresses door. Dresses up, dresses up like he's about to make an R and B music video from the mid '80s to early '90s. 
Yeah. And then he thinks that she's on the other side of the door. And then where this car just pulls up, she's already drunk and uh, gets dropped off by some other people uh, from a party she was just at. And he's just like, <laughs> what do he say? Oh, no, just go inside. Go, uh, go change. Uh, I made reservations at 40 places, so we're going to get a table. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like a psycho. Uh, but yeah, he. What um... about the scene? What about the scene early in the movie, where <laughs> the news reporter comes to report on the streaker, and he goes, "I'm here with security guard. I don't remember his name." And he goes, "It's head of security," and she's and she just goes, just looks at him, and he tells her to cut. And he starts like dropping the f bomb, and then she's just and then she just goes, "So what do you have to say?" And he, she points the microphone at him, and she, goes, <laughs> he goes, "Really? You're gonna do that with with your total screw up of my job title?" All right, well, I'm here with this teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, tying into more of what I was going at. Like, he takes his job so, like, he loves, when he when he's trying to swoon her, he's, like, full on, like, trying to do, trying to be, like, the gentleman. When it comes to his job, though, hard line, no nonsense. Uh, you got my title wrong, ma'am. Like, <laughs> well, uh, he, you gotta, he treats every threat like it's a terrorist bomb. He, uh, he doesn't. He just doesn't mess he around. Treats, like, he treats. He treats certain employees like they're terrorists, even though that's racial profiling. <laughs> he, he makes a task force when the cop tells him. The, when Ray Liotta tells him to buzz off, he makes a task force with just these bumbling, just goofs, idiots. And then yeah, and uh, Michael Pena, who's hysterical in this film, by the way. Um, he's he's he talks in this. I can't describe that well like how he he like talks in this really fast mannerism like ant-man but like he, he talks he talks he talks and he's a he's vince vaughn with a lisp yeah <laughs> and a jerry curl <laughs> yeah for the gold um, chain. and then huh with a gold chain around the collar of his shirt yeah um and then he even convinces um uh, this guy that just started working in a completely like in a different store. Like, was he even a dis- cop? Like, dis- didn't he just kind of poach him? It's di- he was gonna become a security guard. It was discount. Oh, I thought he, I thought he poached him. It was discount Matt Damon from uh, uh, Breaking Bad. I don't remember what his character was, but it's the guy in Breaking Bad that Jesse doesn't like towards the end of the series. That's uh, Jesse Plemons. Uh, I don't know his name. I just know him as Discount Matt Damon because he looks just like Matt Damon. Yeah, he uh, he was uh, he's famous for that, and then he's also really famous for uh, the Black Mirror episode USS Callister. Yeah, the um, yeah the first one of season five, or yeah four or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you'll remember him from Fargo. He was Kristen. He was a uh, he was a yep. uh, Kirsten Dunst's was, wife or Kirsten Dunst's husband in he, Fargo. He was one of my favorite. He was in one of my favorite recent movies. He was in Black Mass. Oh, right. He was in Black Mass. I love that movie. I liked it. <laughs> I really like that movie. Uh, but it's we, it's also my kind of movie. It's a really dark crime mob movie. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, back to Observe. Um, I was... Uh, among uh, other dark things in this film, uh, if we want to go into that, this aspect of the film, like... Well, let me ask you this. Like, did, how... Did you think the dark kind of it wasn't a darkly toned film, but like the humor in this film is uh, pretty extreme. Like the when he goes on the date, he almost date rapes her. (laughs) The only thing that kept him from not date raping her was the fact that she was like, don't stop. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, or the fact that there's a streaker in the film, like the fact that like the whole point or the whole point of conflict in the film is that they're trying to find a guy assaulting people with assaulting people in their eyes. Yeah. Um, and then also when heroin gets involved later in the film, like I, I like like what we've said before, we both have very dark, twisted sense of humor. So I, I liked it. Well, the, the other thing, too, the ending is so dark and unbelievably out of nowhere um, yeah let's uh tell so, let's let the let the listener so, remind the listeners if they forgot what exactly happened in this pretty nuts ending so the end of the movie he doesn't become a cop he uh he's fired from his job at the mall and he goes back to just be at the mall basically and he's going to be like undercover just regular guy at the mall and it backfires. Crap, I can't remember. But he's he's at the mall. Coffee girl comes over. She's out of her broken leg cast. She's walking around. She got her hair done all nice. And they have a very touching moment where he, after he saw Anna Ferris's character leave work after their date and go meet with his biggest enemy and have sex with him in his car. Well, Ray, Ray Liotta. Yeah. Ray Liotta, yeah. She sees him, sees her have sex with Ray Liotta, who's his biggest enemy. And it's after he got tackled and, like, arrested or something at the mall. So he's having a touching moment with the girl he should have been with from the beginning of the movie. And as they're having this touching moment, Streaker comes by, opens up his jacket, and you can see everything. And he starts running around with it, and you can still see everything. He starts chasing him down. They're running through the mall. And then the Streaker goes, and as he's running away from him, uh, he, uh, Seth Rogan trips and falls down. And so the guy gets away and he runs by the Macy's or the pennies that Anna Ferris works by. And he sees her and he starts running at her and you can't tell what he's going to do exactly. And he starts running at him. And this is one thing. The second time I watched this, I actually picked up. There's a lot of really good foreshadowing throughout the movie. Um, they have several scenes where you, you can find out he's a big gun enthusiast. Uh, there's the scene at the shooting range, which just seems like a passive scene of bonding with him and the two other security guards talking about weapons. He's talking about what gun he's going to get to carry when he's in a, uh, when he's a cop, the, the scene, the mental evaluation scene just shows that he likes guns and he's, he freaks out the lady because he seems over, over excited to use a gun on someone. Yeah, um, they they know in the gun range he, too that they're not allowed to carry firearms. Yeah, there's another um, there's another scene where I think he's looking at a gun magazine or something like that. Like there, there's several scenes that just the, they just bring up guns in a way where it where it honestly just like it just seems so in passing that you don't think about it. But then so the the streakers running towards Anna Ferris in the store and you see Seth Rogen come from behind. It looks like he just took like a an access stairwell uh, to get to there. And you see him start running towards him, and the first time I saw this movie, I was like, oh, he's going to tackle him, he's just going to beat him up. And then you see him raise his right hand, and I was like, what has he got? And then he, and then you can clearly see a gun, I was like, oh my god! And it happens in slow motion, so it's long enough for you to see, it, it happens in slow motion long enough that you can kind of catch on that he's not going to tackle him, and then you can register... That's a gun. And he just shoots the guy in the chest from five <laughs> feet away and drops him. Yeah, he didn't die there, but... And um... the, the, the head of security for the mall comes up and he goes, he goes, 
Christ, man, he's dead. And the guy goes, <coughs> and he goes, well, not he's wounded. <laughs> he's just like, oh, okay, well, let's get him to the hospital. Yeah. And then he's just like, I got this. And he just picks up the guy, like puts him on his shoulder, and he drives the uh, the the gator, the mall gator, that electric scooter to the hospital, yeah. <laughs> or not to even to the hospital, just to the police station. And he's just like this Let triumphant it be known that moment. I caught him. He, the triumphant moment where he just he gives gets... him to the cops, and he's just like, "Hey, Ray, I caught him. F you and f you and f you and just you're flipping cool. Off all the, f you, flipping off all the cops, and then he just." <laughs> kind of like Breakfast Club. Well, Breakfast Club, there wasn't a car, but like that triumphant walking away, fist pump in the air, and off then, into the sunset, happily then, ever and then, after. And then it ends like, with him getting interviewed again, and then him and his friends being ridiculous on camera, and he's like, yeah, I'm dating this one girl. She made a, she made a promise to God, but, uh, you know, whatever. But she's nice. And then he starts acting goofy with his friends, and then the movie ends. It's the weirdest movie. Dude, that... that that scene was so out of nowhere. The first time I watched it, I was just like, "What?" Yeah. Uh, well, that's but, part of the that's part of the trace with this film is that like it kind of comes out of nowhere that the sca- the, the scene streaker. where they beat up the skateboarders comes out of nowhere too. Like yeah, the one, no, guy, the gonna... one guy's like, "I just want to show you, I just want to show you a good time, and show you what I'm all about." And they start doing drugs, and then they just they start doing drugs and drinking while on the job, and then. <laughs> And then they find the skateboarders in the parking lot and start beating the snot out of them. Yeah, no, that, um, I was going to say, the full context of that scene, like, was after he failed the evaluation. And then, yeah, he's kind of consoling him, like, hey, let me show you how I have a good time. And then, yeah, it just Shoots up heroin in the bathroom. Oh, it just goes from 1 to 11 like that. And, um, I can get why they would decide to just beat up the kids. They probably, like, tell kids to not skateboard there all the time. So it's just like, nope. Not messing around now, like. And then, and then, um, and then he, fi- and then and then he they, finds and then out almost... that the guy's the person that's been stealing from the mall after hours, because he has the codes to every place. Yeah, that's a B. That's a B plot in this film. I forgot to mention is that on top of the streaker, somebody's been breaking into the mall and stealing stuff. That's also a B plot. The movie forgets to address too, because it's really only addressed like two times. Yeah, that's that's another thing that's weird of this movie is like. That's why I was saying, like, I wondered yeah, if... It's so fast, though. I, like, it's That's such I... a quick movie, I don't blame them for not embellishing anything. Because if, honestly, if this movie goes any longer, it would be a detriment to the movie. Yeah, I I, I agree. Pacing-wise, it's kind of nice for a movie this kind of dark to be this quick to keep up the comedic pace. But... Yeah, because if it dwells on anything too long, it's going to be like, all right, this is this is actually bad. Like, it's fast enough that it's funny. So that's what I'm getting at is like why I like why I was wondering if he had potentially like dabbled with the idea of expanding this into a TV show like Eastbound because there's so many plot threads within this ensemble that like I wa- I would just personally want to ask him like yo did you pitch observe and report to HBO and they said no or did you always want to make it a movie <laughs> and um uh before we forget I got to mention um that Danny McBride did make a surprise appearance in this film. <laughs> it's uh, it's when Ray Liotta d- ditches him, uh, while they're doing a, a what's what's it called a, a, a ride along. Yeah, a ride along. Be- but when he was trying to be- become a cop before he failed the psyche valve, and Ray Liotta ditches him at a drug corner, and these little kids come over and they a- offer him drugs, and he's just like, "No, get over here!" And like he's trying to apprehend them, and then Danny McBride 
who has a ridiculous haircut, um, he comes over <laughs> pretending to speak Spanish or like. <laughs> having I, my, like a... my favorite thing that Danny McBride does in this movie is just when he pulls the gun on him and he goes, you're going to need a new effing head. How about that? And he puts the gun to his skull. Yeah, dude. I honestly, that was a big point in the film where I was just like, I just paused it for a second. was just like, man, how different, how funny would this be uh, even more so if Seth Rogen was trying to put on a Spanish accent and had cornrows and like was threatening <laughs> to shoot Danny McBride. Like <laughs> what if, what if that was a, uh, you remember in pineapple express, the drug dealer, what uh, if that's like his twin brother? Right. Oh my God. He was. There's a, drug a pineapple. Ex- there's a pineapple express extended universe. Right. <laughs> better than the DCEU. A Seth Rogen. A Seth Rogen verse. Um. A Rogen verse. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the video? This is way off topic, but have you seen the video? It's like I think it's a Vine, but it's this guy that's being supposed to be like arrested by security guards that looks kind of like Seth Rogen, and he just shoves a security guard to the ground. And in the original video, he runs away laughing, but someone edited in Seth Rogen's laugh, and it's just like <laughs> as he's running away. <laughs> That's awesome. Please, no, okay, I, please look up that video when you're done listening to this. It, dude, it has me in tears every time I see it. I watched a Seth Rogen video a couple months ago where it was it's Friends, but instead of uh, Friends' normal laugh track, it's just Seth Rogen laughing. <laughs> I want to see that so bad. I can't, re- <laughs> I can't remember the exact line, but it's more along the lines of just like, oh, hey, Rachel, what's going on? Oh, I'm having trouble with this again. <laughs> I want to see that. It's I want so... to see that so bad now. Oh, it's I'm sure it's on YouTube, but yeah, oh my god, it's so, oh my god, it's so funny. Like it's not a whole episode, but like it teed me up to think it was a whole episode, but even still just for 2 minutes it's amazing. Uh, uh but yeah, the uh <laughs> The, uh, surprisingly, though, now you got me thinking about it, he didn't smoke marijuana in this movie. Which no, he did. Uh, or oh, when they During were doing the drug heroin, montage right. scene, he's uh, that's, he's that's smoking right. weed and drinking uh, drinking out of a flask. That's right. No, that's that's right. I yep. But he's, he's he still yet laugh. to make a movie without drugs. Huh? He doesn't have the. I don't think he has the Seth Rogen laugh at any point in this movie. Um, it's fun. it's funny. He plays okay. He so kinda, he kind of did right off the bat when he when we we're first introduced to Anna Ferris. Like they're laughing at the desk, and then he just kind of inserts himself in. It's oh, just like yeah. He's but just he, like he plays, <laughs> what are we plays, talking about? He plays a character that ends up doing drugs, but he doesn't play a he doesn't play the typical Seth Rogen druggy character. That's that's like I was getting at earlier though. Is his character, while very similar to his other characters, is also very different than any other. He's he's a schlubby loser. But not because he's lazy and he's, you know, he smokes weed and he's lazy and just as a as a as a burnout loser. It just stuff didn't go his way in life. Yeah. Like, Whether his it's, personality it's was so, the problem or not. It's it's a it's a similar character, but the story to get to the character we're given is so different that they are it, it is a different character. Yeah, it's it's that combination of like his personality being his own worst enemy while also just kind of getting some bad luck in life, really. Like, yeah. 
that's and like that's what I was saying before about like that's at the core of literally every Jody Hill character, really. Like, yeah. um, same with um, I almost forgot uh, Tale of the White Horse or Tale of the White Tailed Deer. I want to say is the name of that. I uh, I might have butchered that, but uh, he uh, that was a Netflix film with uh, Josh Brolin and uh, Legacy of the White Tailed Deer Hunter. That's it. Hmm. Uh, he and Danny McBride wrote that and he directed it. And, uh, yeah, um, not to the ex- same extreme, but Josh Brolin plays, um, uh, this hunter that makes money by, uh, selling videos of himself hunting. And, uh, he's kind of getting out of his prime, but he doesn't think he is. And like, um, it's, it's that, it's that same deal again. Like just, uh, the ego is your worst enemy, Like your own ego is your worst enemy. Yeah. Um, but he's not nearly as obnoxious as uh, as this character, <laughs> <laughs> or either character that Danny plays in the TV shows. Um, but um, yeah, I don't I really mean, have much else to say. It's such a quick movie. I kind of like, yeah. I, I, kinda, I have I have really high praise for it. It's a shame that I don't have much more to say. But it's just it's such a quick movie that like we recapped it already. Yeah, no, I don't have much to say about it either. I mean, the scattershot way we kind of went around telling the whole plot but uh other no, than a... other than the beginning uh it was one thing i did want to say the beginning reminds me of uh the big lebowski oh the uh, opening montage with the with the style of music to right, like the opening yeah. montage to set the scenery and uh tone uh and the style of music it really reminded me of the big lebowski yeah um none of other the rest than that of... I, I i don't have anything else it's a great movie full pan go see it none of the rest <laughs> of... <laughs> none of the rest of my notes really pertain to anything that's worth talking about they're just kind of little things that like uh i just wrote down to myself just like oh ha, that was funny like i don't i don't re- i didn't really have that many notes in it um mm-hmm. i unless we want to make it a re- reoccurring segment every time we see a time machine movie that drops the r word or the fag word <laughs> if we want to make <laughs> if we want to if we want to make that like a swear jar like make us like make a swear jar for these movies just like oh you said that <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah, that's uh, that's all I got too. I solid full pan. Um, I do stand by what I said before about um, it's kind of a little clunky with the writing, but not not to any kind of point that you shouldn't see this movie. This is this is pretty good. It's pretty off kilter for Seth Rogen, but no, we had a had a good time watching it. Uh, so yeah, with that, we're gonna take a brief break and talk to you about what we got going on next week. All right, guys, that is it for this week's episode of Brownie Points. As always, we got to thank Isla Marfin from Fugue for the music. Thank you, as always. Next week, Nick and I are going to be going to the theaters twice. The first film is going to be The Return of the Men in Black in MIB International, starring Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Our second film is going to be from indie artur Jim Jarmusch, He made a zombie film with Adam Driver and Bill Murray, The Dead Don't Die. And then, for for The Time Machine, it's my pick. And Nick, we are going to go to 1998 and watch the Academy Award winner for Best Film, Shakespeare in Love, starring Joseph Fiennes and Gwyneth Paltrow in the role that got her an Academy Award. Uh, You have not seen this, right? Uh, No. 
right? And I have not either. Um, I've seen some clips of it here and there, but um, I think this is going to be a great time machine for us, like both not having seen it before, um, kind of tying into what we were talking about at the top of the episode. Um, if we feel like talking about it or bringing it up, uh, this was kind of Weinstein at his peak creepiness. Like there's a lot of stories involving this film specifically. Um, oh. I mean, if we don't want to dive too deep into it we'll see how we feel feel about the film maybe we'll just be gushing over the film itself and not even bring it up <laughs> or maybe we'll hate it yeah maybe we'll hate it um <laughs> i am going to do my best to not hold beating saving saving private ryan very very wrongly at the academy awards for best picture against it but we'll see <laughs> um <laughs> but then yeah uh that's what we got coming up next week nick Tell everybody where they can uh, reach out to us. We're most active on our Facebook page, Brownie Points Guide to Cinema, as well as our Twitter handle, uh, at Brownie underscore cinema. Uh, best way to know it's us, it is our logo, the bowl of popcorn with the brownie in it. We're also uh, on YouTube. We upload every episode except for one that is down for a copyright strike. Thank you for whoever did that because that was so awesome to wake up to a couple months ago. Just kidding. Um <laughs> Brownie Points Guide to Cinema. Uh, again, we upload every episode uh, as a YouTube video. There's no video component. It's just the audio with our logo in there. And then we have an email address that's super long. That's totally my fault. Brownie Points Guide to Cinema at gmail.com. But just put that in there one time. You can send us emails of what movies you want us to review, talking points you think we should talk about, movies you think we should check out for time machines, um, recipes for uh, brownies or cookies or pies or something. Um <laughs> And uh, other than that, I think that's it. All right. Uh, as always, if you like the show, please write us a review, give us a rate, and uh, subscribe to us. We are on Spotify, Google Play, uh, iTunes. Well, actually, no longer iTunes. Apple Podcasts. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> iTunes. Um, feel free to uh, share us around. Let, uh, let the people know that... Uh, we doing this show every single week if they like listening to people talk about movies uh we appreciate any and all feedback and uh yeah with that we'll be back next week for men in black international the dead don't die and shakespeare in love we'll see you then free barbashev There's a Pineapple Express extended universe. Right. <laughs> better than the DCEU. A Seth Rogen a Seth Rogenverse. Um. A Shrogenverse. <laughs> <laughs>